Wanna go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. Anything better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. <laughs> and welcome to the Fourth Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 70 of the big show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. The first episode of 2021. How's everybody doing out there? How was everybody's new year? Pretty quiet around here. Yeah, not nothing too exciting. Um, uh, yeah. Sorry, uh, I'll say right off the start here, uh, I apologize for not having an episode out on Sunday. Um, that was the goal, was to have this part two with Steve uh, Parsons out on Sunday. Um, but we had a new computer and transferring over files and everything else. I was having trouble with Audacity, and I had to reload it, and yeah, it was just, and I had some other things going on, it was just a pain in the ass, so it was like, all right, well, I'll just do this on Wednesday, so here we are, and uh, this is going to be part two with Steve Parsons, yeah, so uh, part one uh, was uh, really well received, and I got a lot of positive feedback on it, Steve was a great guest. And uh, it, it continues in this episode. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so, and uh, it's, you know, we talked for a little, quite a, quite a while, so I mean, I won't, uh, I won't yap too long today. Um, I have, uh, I'll do that on Sunday. I'm planning on doing a Sunday episode um, where I'm ranting a few things, talk about, uh, you know, some current stuff, the World Juniors, we'll see how that goes. I mean, as I'm, you know, Canada and the U.S. and the gold medal tonight, uh, you know, whatever, but, uh, you know, we'll talk about Char going to Washington and, and, uh, yeah, just talk about a few things, um, putting diehard idiots, calling them on their bullshit and they don't like it, but, uh, ah, it'll be a fun Sunday. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But, um, yeah, for this episode, like I said, I won't talk too long. Um, you know, episode 70, of course. Um, so obviously 69 other episodes, for you to go back and check out in the back catalog um, <clears throat> on whatever platform you happen to be listening to. Um, it'd probably be easier if you subscribe on that platform, if you're an iTunes person or a Spotify or whatever. Um, that way, the moment it gets uploaded, <clears throat> um, you'll have it. Um, yeah, like I said, don't uh, don't wait for me to tweet it out or whatever, because by that time, it's, you know, by the, it's the end of the day, usually, when I get home from work is when I'll do it, so... <clears throat> and the episode's already been out for like 10 hours, so yeah, I would just subscribe to the channel, and uh, yeah, you'll get it right away. Other than that, also, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube, uh, check it out, I got about 2,200 videos on there, uh, from junior to pro, although any league you're looking for, everything's sorted, so you can just go to the search engine and uh, type in whatever league, uh, from the NHL to WHL to West Coast, whatever, <clears throat> Um yeah, 
and uh, subscribe to that and uh, and definitely go down the rabbit hole. I mean, I think you'll find a lot of try to put some unique stuff on there. Try to put different stuff up. I mean, you know, everyone's seen Probert and Cox, so it's like, you know, I, I won't put that on there. But um, you know, Colton Lawrence with Current or you know uh, Grant McNeil or Matt Summerfeld, John Morasti, couple some L and H stuff and a couple crazy brawls and. You know stuff like that. So I mean, it's there's lots of different, a lot of American, a lot of American hockey league stuff and IHL and yeah. So I think definitely check it out. Um, got some Steve Parsons United Hockey League stuff on there. Um, hopefully, I'm gonna add some stuff with Steve here, some footage of him uh, in the next little while. But uh, other than that, like I said, this is the Hockey Podcast Network. So there's about 40 other other shows. All, all the uh, NHL teams are represented. So whatever. Uh, team you're a fan of check out that show i mean of course with the nhl starting up here in a couple of weeks i mean everything's uh um all systems go so i imagine the network's gonna get really busy here with content so definitely check that out for my off network friends of course alec over at the five for fighting podcast um i know he has he i won't say he just did an interview with a character so i mean i'm sure that'll be coming out here shortly <clears throat> I'll let that, I'll leave it up to him to announce that, but, uh, that, that'll be coming out. And of course, Joe over at the Coliseum Chronicles, uh, his last episode was with Kevin Devine, uh, in, uh, late, uh, December here. So he took, uh, he took the Christmas break off in the new year and he'll be, uh, bouncing back here right away. Joe's got great stuff. Um, he does an, uh, I should have brought that up first. It was an, it's an Islander tough guy, uh, podcast. So he's had, Mick Fakota on, Aaron Ashram, Strudwig, Bolton, all you name it. <clears throat> and uh, Joe's really in-depth, does a great job. And, uh, of course, uh, Fred and Dave over at the Slewfoot Show, and Dan, Paul, and Kelly over at the Obey the Puck Show for my for my new for my new age fans. So like the new stuff, those people will keep you informed. But, uh, yeah, guys, other than that, like I said, I'm not going to say I won't, uh, I won't ramble on uh, today. Um, like I said, Steve and I talked for quite a while, so that's what you tuned into here. So, um, again, part one, uh, was really, went really well with Steve and, uh, really, really well, well received. And I want to thank everybody for, uh, tuning in and, uh, you know, if you're here because of Steve and, uh, you know, you're a fan of his or whatever, I, I encourage you, thank you for listening. And, uh, if you're obviously being new, uh, to the, to the thing, uh, to the show and, uh, like I said, I encourage you to go back and check out the back catalog. Um, interviewed a lot of great guys, and uh, and I think you'll enjoy their stories. So, uh, but uh, thank you for tuning into the Fourth Line Voice, and uh, you know, going forward, I mean, if we get some new listeners from this, um, that's great. So, uh, all right, let I'll zip it and let's get going. And here is uh, part two and the finale with uh, Steve Parsons. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you on Sunday. I said, "Help." I didn't have a car. I said, all right, well, um, okay. <laughs> I said, okay. And I rented a vehicle and I drove to Wheeling and um, played 19 games there. I tore my knee up, moved 15 games into it, and missed a couple weeks, came back and played four more. And then um, Hershey called me after I played my 15th game and wrecked my knee. I got a call the next morning from Hershey to want to bring me in. I'm like, I'm going in for surgery here, like, tomorrow for a scope and they said well call us when you're healthy so I went to my scope I sat for a week played a weekend or two called my agent and said hey I'm I'm fucking good to go 
and they called Hershey, and I was there the next day. Well, there you go. Well, yeah, so that's a kind of an interesting roundabout 2000, 2001 year. I want to back up, though. I know, um, did you have a run-in with Brandon Christian that year in camp? What year was that with Christian? So that would have been that would have been the year. Yeah, that would have been because because I was in, I was in Pittsburgh two years in a row. Yep, camp and then Wilkesbury camp two years in a row. Um, and um, the Wheeling one was I'll get back to Wheeling, but with with, with Wilkesbury, um, we were I was in Pitt, and then you go down. And the way that those camps used to work then is they didn't have prospect camps and fucking rookie camps. Like it was like. You have your NHL camp, and then that starts on September 5th, and then the AHL camp starts on October 1st. So if you're lucky, you're in Pittsburgh for like a month, and then you go to the minor camp. And you're already hot, and you're already fucking skating at the NHL level, and you're, you know what I mean? You're all, yep. you know, you're, you're, you're in shape, you're, you're sharp, you got rapport with the guys, you're coming into camp. Those guys that are coming to that camp, you'll have to step up for them, right? Like I, like I went to Milwaukee the year before, you know, that was my big step. So now, you know, I'm coming to a camp and, and this fucking Brandon Christian's walking around the hallways of the arena and he's got a white t-shirt on with the sleeves cut off and the words House of Pain written on the back of it. <laughs> and I'm like, who the f-? He's got the skullet and he's huge. I'm like, is this a fucking player or a rink attendant? Hey, you trying out? You run him a Zamboni. Fuck you. Who are you? I'm Parsons. I'll see you out there. I'm like, I can't wait, big boy. See you out there. And um, <laughs> this is a really funny story. This is one of my favorite stories. Tom Christopoulos, who played 10 years in the show, and really quiet guy, great guy. We're in the locker room, and we're in the side room, and Brandon Christian, me and TK are sitting side by each. And he says, hey, where do I get some of that wrist tape? He comes says, you got to go ask Fat Bastard for it. He's like, who? The trainer, Fat Bastard. That's his nickname. So I wasn't there, but everyone else, people were. So he walks into the room. He goes, hey, yo, Fat Bastard, where can I get some wrist tape? Well, it wasn't his nickname. And so the total... (laughs) It's a total setup job. He walks into the trainer's room, which is like where all the veterans hang out and fucking read and get their treatment, right? Like, hey, fat bastard, where can I get some wrist tape? So Pat, great guy, throws him out of the, throws a big tantrum, throws him out of the room. Christian comes back. He tries to get a TK in the room. I'm standing in the locker room. Like, get them. So look, we're, in the, we're in one locker room, but we're on three different teams. Right, like you're you're in your in training camp, like you're on Team A or Team Gold, and you're playing against Team White or Black or or whatever, and like you could be in the locker room with a guy on your team or against you. So me and TK are there, and Brandon's getting ready for the scrimmage that we're going to play against each other. He's trying to get to TK in the room, and I get up. I'm like, no fucking way, dude! Like if you got a problem, it's me and you. It's not you and TK. And so we get on the ice, and he's just riding the line and warm-up telling me how much he's going to kick my ass. And someone started saying something to him, and he broke a fucking stick over a guy. And he just fucking two hands, one of the guys, I want to say Greg Crozier, but it might not have been Greg Crozier. It might have been Chris Newlands. Two hands, a guy over the side of the shoulder breaks a stick. 
Next guy comes in to cross-check him. He grabs the stick out of that guy's hand and breaks it over him. Breaks two sticks in two swings. So everyone's scared shitless. I fucking go over there, and I drop the mitts right around the Let's go. So we have a fight, and he gets up. Now, like, even his own teammates hate him, right? Like, everyone in the ring hates this guy. I'm a bit of, you know, like, I'm kind of saving the thing. And it goes good. Like, I, he didn't hurt me or nothing. He wasn't that good of a fighter then. I don't know if he ever got any good at it. He wasn't that good at it. He was big. So then we're playing along, and every time he stepped out of line, I'd yell from the bench, fuck you, Christian, let's go. And and he'd stop, and I would literally jump over the boards and go and fight him. And I, I swear to God, I fought him three times that day. It was 9 a.m. on a Sunday, <laughs> and it was like, it was like, it was, it was called the Icebox in Pittston, and it was cold, and it was like, there's no one around, it, there's no seating, it's just a little practice rink. And I think I fought him three times, and finally, like, the co- the jump coach blew the whistle, came on the ice in his shoes, put everybody on the goal line, and we did down and backs for, I don't know, 20 minutes. And um, he hung around a couple days, and then they sent him to Wheeling, and it was kind of the last I saw of him. But he was, and then the funniest part was at our Halloween party that year, uh, Tom TK wore a white t-shirt that said House of Pain and wore a skull wig and aviator glass and he dressed up as Brandon Christian probably. <laughs> and it was he won costume of the night award <laughs> a month and a half after the guy was gone or whatever it was. <laughs> well, there you go. Tremendous. Yeah, it was um, pretty funny. Well, you talked about being in Wheeling. One of your teammates, of course, had, uh, would have gone in LNAH and was a tough dude. Uh, Jason Hamilton. The toughest guy that never made it you know like Hamilton was I want to say this without sounding you know phony but he was tougher than me and braver than me he wasn't as heavy as I was but he was tougher and more willing and he'd fight with a broken nose he'd fight with a bad hand he'd fight didn't matter who or when he was ready to rumble and I was I was always ready to go but he was really ready to go like, he was like, fuck you, purse, let's go. I'd be like, hang on, Hammer, let's talk this out. Like, as a, if we're teammates in practice, we're having a, they were going at it. You know, he'd be the guy that would give a really stiff cross check. And if I turned around and wanted and looked at him, he'd want to fight. And so I'd have to turn around and give him like a hook and a shove. He'd be like, fuck you, Hammer. You know what I mean? Like, I, I kind of had to diffuse it a little bit because he was always ready to go. And he was tough, man. He's from some bush town in New Brunswick, I think. And man, like he made me tougher because I saw how courageous he was. And I was like, fuck, I better be that brave too. And he, you know, he's a guy that I just really believe, you know, was definitely tough enough to play at the next level. Good enough player, but just, you know, when I talked about not going down to Southern East Coast League states and stuff like that, like he was down in like, um, I think Baton Rouge. Yeah. He was down in like some Southern leagues. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're trying to get from the East Coast League to the AHL, you're better off in Wheeling, Johnstown, Toledo than you are in South Carolina, Baton Rouge, and Florida. Just. Yeah, they always they always said you wanted to be in the East because you got more exposure there. Yeah, like, you know, if you're, you know, like Johnstown would have 50 players a year go through there, you know, because you could be, 
10 American League teams by game time tonight. Yep. Where if you're in Fort Myers, well, it's going to take you a day or two to get here. And you're not going to get that PTO. And when you live on a PTO, like I lived on a PTO, you know, in 2000, that whole year, I didn't sign a contract anywhere. I was on a PTO the entire fucking year. Every game matters. Yep. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, and I, I'm not going to second guess Hamilton's career path, but that guy was like, for me, he was a big, he was a big part of me because I saw up close, like Bruce Ramsey was the same way, like tougher than tough. Like you want to talk about tough? Like Bruce Ramsey was fucking tough. Like there's stories about him taking guys like fishing and, and guiding in the off season and cutting his leg open so bad with the prop of a boat, about like the prop of a, a boat motor, and then like cutting it so bad and taping it shut with duct tape and spending a week in the bush and then coming out and getting 50 stitches in his leg and a staph infection, but he never flinched for the whole week he was in the bush. And you're like, I'm fuck Rammer. Like, he's like, these people paid good money, Steve, to come up here and, and hunt and fish with me. I'm like, yeah, but you fucking, like, you might have to amputate your leg. Oh, I don't have to amputate my leg, all right? I cut the infection out every night. Okay? <laughs> Jesus, Rammer. <laughs> fucking... <laughs> how tough are you? Like, what, like how tough am I? And how tough are you? So, some dudes are you just know, on a different. Been, some dudes are just on a different level. <laughs> dude, man, I'm not one of those guys. Like, no, I had to mix with those guys. But McLaren and Ramsey and Hamilton, those guys are like that. They're yep. they're they're another level. Well, speaking of being at Wheeling in the East Coast League, you mentioned Johnstown. Did you get to play in Johnstown? Oh yes. Yeah. Well, there. So it's like the infamous, of course, being the hockey fan, of course, slap shot and everything. That had to be like somebody told me. Yeah, it was it was fun the first time, and then it's like I don't want to come here anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, at that time, I was brimming with confidence. So I'd come out of you know the for, the year in the U-Haul where I had lots of pims and majors and relatively unscathed, and I was in Pitt and Wilkes, and you know, I mean, I, I wasn't a killer, but I didn't get hurt. You know, and and you know, I was in Wheeling, and I was going to going to Johnstown, and like I'm riding their line, and I'm looking at their guys, right? And I end up fighting. I think Brent Billado, who was like a first round NHL pick, he was fucking huge. He was strong. You know, was he a great fighter? Mm, probably not in hindsight, but at the time, you know, he you know he was good, big, and strong enough to get by. That's for sure. I think it was a big pick out of Swift Current, drafted by Montreal. Yep. Yeah. And, um, you know, we ended up being teammates in Hershey. And what a great guy. And you can see when you spend time with him, you're like, no, you're not, you're a good player and a tough dude and a good uh, demon, but you're, you're definitely not a savage. And so I remember just, I remember Johnstown, the fans were right there. And the the flags were set up just like Slapshot. And the vibe was very much like that. And obviously the jerseys. Um, there's a couple guys that played there that I that I end up knowing later in my career and post hockey, and they always laugh. They remember when I came in there and our team was shit. We were like one and nine or something, but we went on like a ten and two run. And I remember bringing our team in there, and I think I fought Billado, somebody else too. And um, I kind of have this thing where I like to fight in every rink. You know what I mean? Especially if it's famous. Yeah. Like, I can honestly say in my career, I don't think I ever played in the spectrum and didn't fight. Honestly. Like, I honestly cannot remember a game where I did not fight in the Philadelphia spectrum. And I felt the same way about Johnstown. 
when it was like, you know what, I gotta do this. Like this is this we gotta do this. But that whole division, like we, you know, Trenton was in that division then, and they had a couple guys that were with um, I think Philly's farm system. I want to say Belanger might have been down there. Um, Buller, not Bullery, somebody else, but. Yeah, Johnstown, man, playing those rinks. Well, Hershey was like that. Johnstown Arena was like that. Toledo Arena was like that. Those things were built in the 20s and the 30s. Yep. Like those things are, those things were 60, 70 year old buildings back then. So, like, I was, I thought it was an honor, right? Like, oh, yeah, man, the East Coast League. <laughs> the ECHL. I loved it, man. I mean, I, I only spent a couple months there, but I did everything I could to get myself out of there. And, you know, I was really fortunate because I played with a guy named Buddy Smith who was a hell of a hockey player, but he wasn't very big. And he was really a gentle guy, but he was a hell of a player. And I remember being at face-offs and I'd be like, hey, <laughs> I was playing wing at this point. Hey, anybody touches Buddy and I'm ripping their fucking head off. And that goes for you and you. And I'm like singling out those tough guys. And of course, you know, you do that to a tough guy and they're going to be like, fuck you, we'll go anytime, right? Like, and so you, you, when I when I wasn't feeling it, I would do shit like that. And now I got to fight, right? Like, yeah. you know, when you, when you call, when you call a guy out and he comes after you, well, now you got to go. And so if I wasn't really feeling it, I'd do shit like that. And um, it was good. I think I had some points there and I could play a little bit. I got around the ice okay. I did everything I could. I fought every fucking chance I had, and uh, got me got called up to Hershey. That's well, cool. there. Well, Mike Felino's the coach in Hershey, and uh, and you know Chocolate City, man. How how was Hershey? Did you? Uh, yeah, what'd you think of the Bears organization? Like a real storied organization in the AHL. Well, and you, you hear about the Hershey Bears, and until you're actually there in that old building, and I played in the old Hershey Park Arena. Um, you know, steep seats, you know, old plumbing, old undercarriage, old in the park. And you get there and you see the Frank Mayers on the wall and you see like the Calder Cups they've won and then the history. And you really get a feel for like, holy shit. And that year, Colorado was the big club. And Felino, when I got there, I was living in a hotel, and they, I was there on a PTO. Brent Thompson got traded from Florida. Brian Muir got traded from Tampa. Terry Ryan came in. Billito came in. Goulash came in. Bridus Ivanins came in. We had a whole bunch of guys on a PTO. We weren't getting anybody down from Colorado. They were they were running at Bork and Forsberg and all those guys. They were a veteran team, so we had what we had. And Mike Foligno, um, I'll say that he, I love Glenn Patrick. Like, he's not a better guy, sweeter man in hockey. But Mike Foligno really showed me and told me what it was going to take to be a pro player. And in my conditioning, my focus, my discipline, I couldn't do anything right. And in hindsight, he was probably harder on me than I needed or deserved especially for that age and the role I was doing. It was a lot of ridicule, but at the same time, he wasn't wrong. You know, like, you know, my weight, you know, I, I'm a big guy. Like, I, I walk around now at 265, and I'm, you know, I'm 
I'm not skinny when I'm not fat, right? Like I'm, I'm, I'm the big bone guy and I played at 240, which, you know, doesn't sound like a lot, but back then it was, you know, like most guys are 220, big guys are 220, maybe 230, but I played at 245. And so he'd be like, you got to be 225 to play here. And you got to watch what you're eating. And I'm like, fuck man. I wear a size 14 wide foot, double XL gloves. Like I, I got a seven and three quarter inch head. Like I'm, 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 if I was American, you'd have me playing tight end, you know? And so I, 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 you know, skating, I worked hard at it, but it never came easy. So he'd, he'd bag skate me and work me out and run the stairs and ride the bike and fucking down and backs. And, but he made me better. I remember one practice, I, um, I broke a stick, two sticks out, I broke a stick. And then later in practice, I broke that stick. And so I, we're doing some line rushes. And so I deke off the bench and I run down the hallway to the room and I come back with another stick. And the whole practice is stopped. And I come back and he starts clapping and saying, where the fuck did you go? I'm like, I had to go get a stick. Bring a spare. I said, I broke both. Bring three next time. And like, no one takes three sticks to practice, but apparently I fucked up by not having three. <laughs> so, um, I remember the next year, I remember the next year I was playing in Providence, I'll fast forward just for the story, before a game and I had three sticks ready for the game. It was in Bridgeport and Mike Sullivan comes in and I'm sitting in my stall for the pregame meeting. I got three sticks taped and he looks and he goes, he goes, hey, Pars, what's this? Uh, one, one for each shift? <laughs> and so, <laughs> I said, silly, the game hasn't even started yet. I haven't even played bad enough I haven't even played bad enough for you to bench me yet. You're already telling me I'm only getting three shifts. I'm just kidding. And, I, and in that particular game, I fought Eric Goddard uh, first or second shift. But, um, yeah, I couldn't really do anything right with Mike. But, you know, I went from 240 to 225. I don't think I got any better at fighting. I was definitely a grudge guy. They definitely put me in the lineup to stir the pot. I I would take warm-up a lot of the time and not dress like – I remember the very first time that happened to me. Jay Wells pulled me out of the room, and he's like, hey, listen, we got lots of guys, not really a tough lineup. I want you to get a ride, get a bike ride in, you know, get a good sweat on, and we'll try again tomorrow. Sure, no problem. And then, like, the next week or the next game, we're like, hey, we're going to sit again, you know, make sure you get a ride. Okay. And the next time, we're like, hey, you're not going tonight, get a ride. And then, like, by the end of the year, he'd like come to the hallway and like look into me from the hallway, make eye contact, do a little throat slash and finger roll for a bike ride. And so like what happened to the long explanation and all the remorse he used to give me now, it's just like a hand gesture. So because I'm part of the team, I fucking put on the yellow spandex and the goggles. and I start doing lunge walks across the room to entertain the boys. You know, I'm going to go do the Tour de France. I'm going to go ride the... I'm not playing tonight, boys. So I'm going to do the Tour of France. So I'm going to be doing that. And then Felino comes around the corner, and I'm doing stand-up comedy in the locker room. <laughs> <And> <laughs> you can't be a distraction. I'm, like, I'm not even playing. Like, you're scratching up the warm-up for, like, the 25th time. Call it my distraction. Like, fuck, the guys are terrified. 
I'm just trying to keep the mood light a little bit. I'm gonna go ride the bike for an hour and watch it on TV. Like, come on, man. So I mean, he was he was hard, but he wasn't wrong. Um, at the time, I was 25 years old, 26 years old. This is these are lessons I should have been learning at 2021. 20, you know, not 25, 26. Well, the uh, well, the following year, you re-signed back with Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, that was kind of fucked up. But was that was that your? Was, did you have like other offers, or was uh, or did you want to go back there? No, well, I did have other offers. So remember, Dave Allison was my coach in Fort Wayne. Then he was the guy in Milwaukee, and I was supposed to go to camp there. And then when I got the NHL deal, uh, NHL tryout. I called him and said, I'm not coming to Milwaukee. Why not? I said, I got to try out in Pittsburgh. You told me you were coming. I'm like, you didn't offer. I got an NHL. I got a better offer, man. I got an NHL tryout. Well, I can't give you that. That's bullshit. I'm, like, well, I'm taking the NHL tryout. I'm not coming to Milwaukee. So then after Hershey, I was driving back to Edmonton, and he phoned me. Dave Allison phoned me, and he said, hey, I saw you had pretty much the whole year in the American League. He's like, fucking way to go. Um, how about you come to Milwaukee? We'll sign you to a contract. I was like, damn, how much? <laughs> He's like, it's American League deal. And I and I, I, I don't like talking money too much, but it was only like, I don't want to say only, but it was like $50,000 in the American League. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, send the paperwork then. And uh, he said, I'm really excited. We're going to have you here. And, and so I got back to Edmonton, and I thought I was going to Milwaukee. And I'm not joking. And you can you check this out yourself to see for yourself. Within, like, a month, they signed Stu Grimson, Jeremy Stevenson, and re-signed Mark Morrow, all to NHL deals. And I'm waiting for my American League deal to come to mail. I'm thinking to myself, like, you just signed – Three guys with more experience in the same kind of category as me. Jeremy Stevenson might not have been a heavyweight, but he fought heavies, and he, he was a 200 pin million a guy in the minors. And like, you're telling me I'm coming in to, to get a shot as a prospect in the organization, and you just signed three NHL guys. And I was talking to my buddy Jason McDonald, and he said, Pars, what's going on? How's your summer going? I said, not bad. I said, I'm supposed to be going to Milwaukee, but they just fucking signed Grim Reaper. <laughs> they signed Mark Morrow. And they got Stevenson. They got someone else. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I haven't got my paper. I don't know what I'm doing. He said, well, Glenn called, and he, he wants to know what you're doing. because he. So when I was with Hershey, I played one playoff game. And that playoff game was game one of the conference finals against Wilkes-Barre. So Hershey, we were ninth seed in the in the Eastern Conference that year. And then they put us over into the Western Conference as the eighth seed, and we won our way through to be reseeded as a, as a Final Four that year. We had a big, long playoff run, and they started me. And then at the end of the playoffs, we lost out to Wilkes-Barre, who went to play the St. John Flames that year. Um, somehow, Glenn got me in the hallway after the game and shook my hand and was like, hey, make sure you call me this summer because we're going to sign you. And I just thought he was being nice. It's fucking, you know, we're in the middle of a playoff, end of a playoff series. So, anyways, I called Glenn up. He's like, Paris, you're supposed to call me. We want to sign you. I said, well, I've, I've already got 
something in, in Milwaukee. He's like, is it an NHL deal? I said, no, it's a minor league deal. He was like, you signed it yet? I said, no. I don't even have it yet. He's like, call my brother, Craig, his GM of Pittsburgh. So he gave me his number, and I called Craig Patrick, and he said, Steve, how are you doing? Gwen really wants us to sign you. Um, what's it going to take? I said, well, I've got a one-way American League deal agreed to in Milwaukee for this, and so if you're prepared to sign me to an NHL deal with more on the down, I'll sign it. <laughs> and so he sent me an NHL contract, Pittsburgh Penguins NHL contract, for more money than the 50 down, and an NHL up of like, I think like 500 over 60 or something like that. It wasn't a lot of money, but it felt like a lot of money. And uh, the day that it arrived was the same day the Milwaukee deal arrived. And I'm sitting at my parents' house, my mom's house in Edmonton, and I had Milwaukee deal on the table and the Pittsburgh deal on the table. And I had to make a decision. And so I signed the Pittsburgh deal from the camp. And um, Dave was not happy. Like, he was fucking mad. Like, he, I called him and told him, yeah, you're fucking bad on your word. I'm like, bad on my word? You've had my contract for, like, two months, and you've signed three guys since me, like, since you told me you were signing me. Like, I don't know. I don't think I'm bad on my word here, man. Uh, so, yeah, and that, that, that year. So when I was in Wheeling the year before, I was playing for Elaine Lemieux. Mario made his comeback. Mario made his comeback midway through the year, and Elaine was my coach, his brother. And he loved me. He thought it was hilarious. And I played well in lots. And so the next year I went back to camp and Pittsburgh camp and they put me on, on Mario's team in camp. And I played, played on Mario's inner squad team all through camp. And it, it was a, just a different vibe. I had more confidence. I was more assured. Played a bunch of preseason games with them. And they just told me day one, they said, listen, um, don't go near Oliwa. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, he's on a, Two one way NHL deal, you're on a two way. I said, I, I think I can take him though. Like I'm fucking, <laughs> I've been training all summer to fight that guy. Like uh, it's, it's a, we're on at ten thirty. Like that's what I'm doing. They're like, first if you go near him, you'll be buried so far in the fucking East Coast League, you'll never see this league again. Do not embarrass him. Do not embarrass us. All right, fair enough. So I had to fight everybody but Oliwa. Huh. Well, how did well, well, how did that go? Well, not good because it got. What happened was, it, it, well, it depends how you look at it. So they said, don't don't go near him, leave him alone. Well, meanwhile, Brendan Walsh is out there fucking spearing guys, and he ended up fighting Oliwa. I think Walsh was it Walshy? Might have been Walshy or Vero or someone. Oliwa ended up fighting someone. Um, Vero's fighting Bugner. Um, McDonald's fighting Barney. Like. There was fights going on all over the place. There was lots of fights, but I wasn't allowed to go near Oli. And Oli, you know, he was a tough, tough, tough dude. There's no doubt about it. But he, he's a different dude too, right? And like he came in, I was in like, I was in like the, what do you call them? Like the generic locker rooms, if you will, like in camps. Like some guys are in the big room and some guys are in the fucking hallway room, right? Mm-hmm. And I was in the hallway room. He came, he came into the room one day and like, hey, who's Parsons? Uh, right there. Hey, come here. Pulled me in the hallway. And he's like, hey, listen, you know, like we're both, you know, part of the organization. And, you know, let's just, um, you know, there's no need for us to go at each other. We can be brothers. We can go after other people together in games and stuff. And, 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 I, and I get what he was doing. He wasn't being a pussy. I'm not calling him a pussy. But he wasn't, he didn't want, he, he didn't want to get into a camp war with me. 
and you know he's protecting himself you know lots of different reasons right and so at the time it really bugged me and as we got through camp and stuff and then i ended up in wilkesbury that was when brophy was wheeling and he had all those fucking guys and i remember glenn patrick standing from those guys going parsons is off limits you guys can fight each other you can fight other people but he's off limits so the the the, the red light i got to Oli was provided to me a, a month later and i didn't love i didn't love either one of it but at the same time i knew kind of what they were trying to achieve right like i go out there and i fight bruce watson mark major ken tasker dan kopeck for the course of a week, there's a good chance I'm going to lose one of those. And I'm their guy, right? They didn't want that happening. So they all fought each other. <laughs> and I just played. And then fought in, fought, fought in the actual exhibition game. Well, you guys had an insane team that year. I mean, you had three guys with over 300 oh, minutes, right. you included. Uh, and then you had Jason McDonald had 330. Vero had 387. Brendan Walsh was on the team. Uh, and there's a character I have to ask you about because the stories of him are legendary. Billy Tibbetts. Yeah, Billy. Um, fought him twice in camp because he cross-checked Mario. Mario, because he was in, Billy was in camp the year before and we became kind of chummy in Wilkes-Barre and stuff. And, and um, so I knew Billy. And then the next year, um, they put me on Mario's team, and then Mario was going after Billy in the in the, one of the games. He was finishing him late, was hacking him on draws, and Billy was taking it, which is not like Billy. And it's Mario Lemieux. And finally, Billy retaliated and went after Mario. And I was on the bench, and before... While I'm standing up to go over the boards to go and address Billy, the coach or whoever it was, I don't know if it was Rick Keogh or if it was Joe Mullen or if it was Glenn Patrick, but one of them, Pars, go! And I'm like, I'm already, my gloves are off and I'm already going over the boards. And, um, because Billy got up and cross-checked Mario. And, um, pretty bad after the whistle. And, and the referee had given a penalty to Mario where Mario was going to, uh, Chase Billy on a penalty shot, precinct camp stuff, right? And so I end up fighting Billy. It's an okay fight, whatever. I, I, I'm not going to get too much into the details. I don't have much trouble fighting Billy on the ice. Never fought him off the ice, but never really had that much trouble with him as a, in a fight. And he had a penalty shot. Then he was coming back around, and we'd put our elbow pads back on. But somehow we'd we'd he got my elbow pad and I got his elbow pad kind of thing. So he took his penalty shot, and I don't know if he scored. If you listen to him, he probably says he scored. If you listen to me, I'm, I don't even know. I, didn't, I don't remember if he scored or not. But he was coming back down, and he was going by, and he kind of gave me like a head flinch, like he was going to fucking sucker me as he was going by me after the penalty shot. And so I was like, let's go again. Like, clearly, this is not resolved. And so I went to center. I said, let's go again. And so after we, after he, <laughs> after we fought, he had his penalty shot, we fought again. And this one was a little more convincing. And um, and then he ended up staying with the team. I ended up getting sent down. Billy was a good player. And Billy was a good friend of mine at the time. Like, he really, really was. Like, he he went through a lot. I defended Billy. Um, you know, 
he was a hell of a player too. Like he was the best yeah. player in the American Hockey League. He was the best player in the American League. No joke. And and I watched him fight Goddard. I watched him fight Rocky. Like I watched him fight heavies. I watched him. He lost to Fedora, but that's that's no that's nothing to sneeze at. Lots of guys lost to Fedora, you know. But he wasn't afraid. And I, you know, Billy as a hockey player, like fuck me, like good and tough. And we were and we were chums. We hung a lot together. And you know, um, he's got his thing now, and he's got his life now, and he said some shit about me in the media, whatever, because he didn't doesn't like one of the stories I told one time. And you know, the, the thing with those things are like, I, I don't give a fuck, Billy. Like, you get as mad as you want. You're not going to bark me down. You're not going to shit talk me enough to make me back down like you know Billy I'm a, I'm a grown man like, you're not gonna intimidate me like you say whatever you want oh you this you that a fucking joke fucking pussy whatever Billy like you know I hear guys and you know I, I listen to lots of your pods a lot of your interviews and you know and I'm, I'm I'm being very open with you and you know and I won some I lost some whatever but like I'm definitely not like I don't know, what do you call it? Thug talk. Like, oh, fucking cautious, fucking slow, blah, 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 the pussy loser guy. I, 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 I just, I'm not wired like that, you know? Yep. And guys that are wired like that, I just kind of like, I look at them like, come on, man. Like, can, can you just fucking, like, I, I gravitate more towards, like, in some ways, like, the Jim McKenzie's of the world where you're like, hey, I'm going to rearrange your face. How do you feel about that? You know, instead of the fuck you, you fucking pussy thing. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I, I try. I always tried to be a little more gentlemanly. It, it didn't always come out that way, but um, you know, it's definitely what I wanted to do. Anyways, that team was. Um, oh, we had a shitload of guys too. Like you know, we had David Kochi, we had John Jacopin. Yeah, we even had guys like Burt Robertson, who was like the Swedish guy who would hit people from behind all the time. You know, and it's like you're not really a fighter, but every time we're on the ice together, we're in a line roll. How'd that happen? You know, because you do something so fast that you'd have to fight, right? So, yeah. Um, but I mean, that whole year is just a legendary year. Well, you had some big fights. I mean, uh, well, we'll get into yeah. them, but I mean, the one guy I wanted to ask you about right away was Richard Scott with the Hartford Wolf Pack. I always think he was really underrated. Like, unfortunately, he had injuries and his career got cut short. But he was a tough dude. Well, I didn't know he was that tough. I just knew he was this guy with all these majors. And he came into town one night with uh, Hartford. And I looked across and one of us, that's Richard Scott? And, you know, 6'2", 210, right? I'm like, that's the guy with fucking 21 majors already? That's the guy fighting everyone, and like I was, I'd always read the stats, right? And and I remember the first time I fought him was in, um, I think I fought him four times in my career, maybe five, and I think um, the first time was in Wilkesbury, and I, and I got him. Like uh, he came in flying both hands. Cause what he would do is he wouldn't hang on; he would throw both hands. Like he, a lot of guys would grab watches. A lot of the times in his fights, he wouldn't grab a jersey and punch. He just come with both hands. And so he hits you with three out of the first six, you know, then he grabbed. So for some reason, I don't know what happened. I don't know if he missed with me, but I came back on him real quick and, and put him down. And then we went into Hartford about a month or two later. And I'll never forget it. Went into Hartford and, and 
and it's me and we're with Wilkesbury and we're in the locker room and we're we're literally like putting gum in our mouth, putting Vaseline on each other's eyes before warm up and laughing about stuff. We're like, Okay, well they've got a whole bunch of fucking donkeys here tonight. They had Christian Goslin and and I want to say McIsaac and Ganyan, and they might have had Scott, the two, of course, and all these guys. And there's me, McDonald, Tibbetts, Wallace, Perot. And we're, like, laughing. And we go out there, and their whole fucking team is stretching along the red line looking into our zone. 20 guys or 18 guys across their red line. And we come up for one month. And I'm like, what is, I'm so scared. I'm like, what are you guys doing? We're not going to get pushed around by you guys. You guys think you're so fucking tough. And, like, obviously, we're leading the league in penalty minutes, like our, our team was. And we're like, so you're going to try to intimidate us? That's your game plan? Yep. We're going. I'm like, well, we'll go you right now. Like, we'll, we'll rumble you guys in warm-up. Like, you think we're not prepared to do that? You guys won't do it. I'm like, fuck that. Right, we will. And so we had this big square off in warm-up. And, like, obviously those are 10-game suspensions. <laughs> but I always joke that warm-up was a big part of my game. <laughs> because that's when the grudges would get, and the fights would get lined up, and all the grudges would get sorted. And um, we didn't fight in warm-up. But the opening draw, there was a fight. The next draw, there was a fight. There was There was literally three fights in the first 10 seconds of the game. And, and Richard Scott and I went again. And um, I just remember that he was he was tough, he was willing, he was fast. Um, but I ended up fighting him the next year in Providence, and he's actually the guy that I broke my hand on that basically finished my career. Huh. I, I hit him. I hit him so flush once. We were up. It was a long story, but when I when I ended up hitting him, um, that that punch, that fight was the one that broke I, I think when I went to the doctor I think I had like five broken bones in my hand and my wrist and required a number of surgeries to to, to, uh, to repair and he suffered a pretty serious concussion and he didn't play for a while and then when he came back he got another concussion from Eric Cairns and I don't think he played after that I don't think so and yeah, I think that was like his last two scraps. I'm not saying I put him into a bad spot, but I definitely know that particular fight. Um, it fucked my career, and it fucked my career, and it definitely hurt him. But that particular night was that Burnett, Oliwa, and Scott in the lineup. And I'm jumping ahead on you a bit, but that particular night, um, all of the Boston brass was in town, and I'd fought Flynn twice on Wednesday. Goddard on Friday, someone else on Saturday, and Sunday, Hartford's in town, and the Brass, Boston Brass is in town, and I was on a bit of a roll. I've been doing, I've been winning my fight, and I, I was really, I was told Oliwa, I actually told Tibbetts, who was with their Hartford, I said, hey, you go tell those three fucking dummies down there, but I'm ready to go all three tonight, and they can pick the order. What? I said, you go tell Oli, Bernie, and Scott, I'll go all three of them tonight, and they can pick the order. You're fucking nuts. I said, well, I got good reason tonight. And um, I fought Scott, and um, it was uh, 
So I left the game. I had to leave the game with a broken hand, and I had surgery the next day, and I was out for two months. Came back, played a couple of weeks, and fought McGratton, and then I was, that was it. But anyway, it's time for the end on you. But yeah, the Wilkes-Barre year, Richard Scott was a, uh, he's one of those guys who came out of Junior A, played up, like he was like Orilla, Ontario, maybe, yep. and played some Junior A in the Maritime League, and came up through Charlotte, and he threw both hands, and the Rangers loved him, and and Harper loved him, and he wore number 13, and he was fucking tough and willing and fast and a redhead. And I, I ended up signing with, with dozen shows. I signed with New York after Providence, and they sent me straight to Hartford. And him and I got to spend some time together, and he's a really good dude, too. A really good dude. Yeah. Well, one of the, the other day, of course, another big kid uh, in Rochester that you fought a couple times, and I know you, you, you had a – it was Andrew Peters. <laughs> you had a bit of a run run in with him a few times. Yeah, you know what? Um, I can't believe that guy made the NHL. Like I, I can't. Like he was huge, but I, you know, he was a second round pick. So he was a high pick, I think. Yep. And he was big, but he he had a baby face, and he was he was easy pickings. Like it was really like it was like like it was like him or Sasha. And Sasha was like trying to be a player or something when he was there, and Peters wanted to be a fighter. And I was like, "Fuck, okay, easy night." And so anytime it was, and I, you know, Peters obviously turned into a much better fighter as he got older and into the show and stuff. But in the minors, like he was, he was an easy major. And you know, anytime I fought that guy, I fought him with a ton of confidence because I just knew like either he didn't have confidence or he wasn't going to hurt me. And. um we had a bunch of rivalries with him. And he played in that North Division of the American League, man. That's Rochester, Syracuse, Bingo, fucking, you know, Philly, Hershey. Like, it, it, it's rough. Like, you see these guys all the time. But frankly, I'm I'm surprised that guy, hey, all the power to him. I'm a little bit jealous, maybe. but And, and he turned out, he won some fights in the show, which is great. But when I see a guy like that play five years in the show, I'm like, how do I not? getting a couple games or a year like holy moly but yeah well, that's the one it thing is. man like peters yeah it was uh you know he got on the gear and i don't know what happened but yeah he uh but i will say andrew peters the one thing he i know he fought brian mcgratton about seven times in the nhl and if you go back and watch the fights he ha- kind of handles mcgratton though, every time which is really surprising because you'd see his other stuff, and I was kind of the same opinion, right? Like, really, you know? But yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened. But he kind of had a bit of a run there in the NHL where it was like he was pretty strong, you know. And then I know he had the real bad KO with Johnson, I think, and then that kind of really busted him up. But yeah, but yeah, coming up, it just it goes to show that confidence is everything. Yeah, you know, and I can, I, I can speak to it firsthand. When, I'm, when you're feeling good about yourself and you think you got a good chin and you're in good shape and, you're, and you beat a guy a couple times, no fucking problem. Whereas if it's someone else that you're a little nervous of or your, your hand is sore or you've been knocked out recently or you're insecure or you're hungover or you, you dog fucked and you didn't work out like and you, and you undermine yourself a little bit, for me, I, I fought different. Like I remember being a kid and knowing who like Kent Stanaport was, and being like, "That guy, that guy's a freak." Like, there's, I don't, you know, or Mark Rader, and being like, "Those guys are like, those guys will kill me," you know. And, and, yeah. and even if I would have fought them, they just would have. 
dudes would have bitch slapped me because I wouldn't have even, I barely would have tried. You know what I mean? I just would have wanted to, to end without getting hurt. Whereas, you know, you get a little older, you get your balance under you, you get your legs under you, you get some confidence. You're like, fuck, I'll punch a guy in the face. No problem. And it, and it, it really goes to show the importance of confidence. You know, people, people say, oh, he's just a goon, he's just a goon. You know, that's people can say whatever they want. I'm not going to stop that. But, like, when you're going to go in a bare knuckle fight with somebody, like, that takes big balls. Yep. And, and to do it repeatedly and to do it with guys that beat you, you know, to go back at a guy that beat you, like, that's not common. That's only common now in the ring. That's not common anywhere else anymore. And people aren't wired like that anymore. You know, and so anyone that sits there now in media and talking about fighters and goons, it's like, listen, you fucking weasel. When, how many fights have you been in? Mm-hmm. Ever. How many times have you been beat up and gone back at a guy? Oh, that's for, that's for savages. Really? You're not prepared to defend yourself if you have to? Really? You wouldn't fight for your teammates? Really? Wow. Ah, weird. And and so there's a real disconnect in guys that are willing to do it, guys that did it, and guys that, that criticize it that don't have any proof. Yeah. No, that's very true. Well, actually, most of the guys writing never had teammates because they never they were picked last for kickball. <laughs> they were picked last for kickball every recess, and you know, never played a sport in their life. True. So, yeah. True. But uh, yeah, well, I, I won't uh, run down everybody you ever fought, but I mean, one of the names that comes up, of course, he was a, you know, you played with his brother, and I know, you know, you guys have a history or whatever, but he's a tough dude, and he was in Hershey at the time, and you fought him. It's Rocky. And he's he's got that he's got that chuck and duck left style left hand, and I know it was a pretty it's on YouTube it's a pretty decent tilt. How to go against? How did you feel against Rocky? Well, we fought. There's only one or two fights on YouTube, and I I'm, I know we fought a couple more. Um, one night we were in Hershey, and I was with Wilkesbury, and we only had nine forwards, and coaches like no fighting tonight, Parse. Like we need you're gonna play and. He looked right at me in the room before the game. And um, we went out there and we're playing. And I'm just playing, right? And when you play, you bump, you shove, you lip off a little bit, whatever. And I got hacked and I hacked the guy back. And before I knew it, Brent Thompson um, came flying over and started throwing. And and I, I wasn't even ready for it. And I, in hindsight, I should have just fought him. But I covered up. And, and he took advantage, he took the opportunity to really make a big, you know, spectacle of it. And, and it, it kind of embarrassed me. And, and my coach was happy and we got a power play and I was embarrassed. And as the game wound down and I'm pretty sure we won the game. Um, I remember jumping over the boards and my coach was like, where are you going? I'm like, I, I have to, I have something I got to finish. And so I jumped on the ice, and I went over to the bench, and I said, send Rocky out. And Polina was the coach. And Rocky's on the bench. And, and Brent was there, too, but Rocky is there, you know, really, he was supposed to, you know, Rocky and Brent are both tough, but let's, you know, Rocky had the bigger, he was, he was tougher, or bigger yeah. education, let's say. Yeah. No disrespect to Brent, who I, who I, I love and admire. But I said, Brent, send him Brent out. would probably say the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right, but I'm not disrespect. I'm not. I'm not shitting on Brent, and I probably should have. I should have probably called Brent out and fucking fought him for what he did to me earlier. But my thought process was, you know what? 
give me the king of your castle. Let's fucking settle this. So I said, I called him off the bench. And he came out, and it was in Hershey. And we fought, and I don't know. I mean, I've watched it. At the time, it felt like I beat him. It might have been more of a moral victory, but when I watched the fight, it was probably more of a draw. Um, but it definitely left unfinished business. And so they were up in Wilkes-Barre a couple of weeks later, and we fought twice. And only one of them was on YouTube. And the one time we were fighting, I remember he, how did it go? I had his left and he had my right. And we were both, he was throwing rights and I was throwing lefts. And then I was like, fuck it, I want to get him. And I knew that he was cocked with his left and I had to let go of it so I could get mine going. And he punched me square in the face with one of his left hands. And I countered with a right that, hit him hard and doubled him over and I came back with like a couple more and the linesman came in and I remember looking at him after I said, yeah. I said you hit me with everything rock and I'm still looking at you and I remember it got really personal and then we fought again and that was on, I think that was on video and we just never ever resolved it we never got to a place where like I fought Brookbank a couple times and like hey Brookie how you doing good for you we're going tonight yep sounds good see you in a bit you know, like you, you get that with guys sometimes. Sean Thornton, the authority, we in tonight. Yeah, you good? You're healthy? You ready to rumble? Yeah, okay, no problem. Where with Rocky, is like, it's always a fuck you. Fuck you, fuck you. No, fuck, I'm going to fucking kill you. No, you know, it never, it never, it never got resolved. It just never did. And hey, you know, he, he, all the props to him because that guy is, you know, he's tough and he's uh, uh, eager and keen. We just did not see eye to eye at all. I think it's because I didn't show him a whole bunch of respect. I think he had a huge reputation through junior and guys were, they knew who he was. And I just basically said, fuck you, man. Like, I don't, I'm not going to kiss your ass, but I'll, I'll fight you. And, and, you know, and, and we just, we just didn't like each other. Just flat out. And I'm buddies with Jeremy now and Cody and I used to be chummy. I moved out of energy. They both live in energy, Cody and, and Jeremy. And we even joke about it amongst them. You know, Jeremy and I, you know, we joke that me and Rock, I'm like, is Rock coming to town? He's like, yeah, don't worry. I won't bring him around. And we laugh, right? But, like, you know, it's kind of half serious. Whatever. Hey, it's one of those it's just, things. Uh, it's just the way it goes, man. Yeah. Well, we're at the point now, i got to bring it up, obviously, the infamous St. Patrick's Day massacre against Syracuse when uh, you and Brad Wingfeld end up uh, center ice gear tarps off everything off and uh you have at her um what what's your what what's your uh t- tell us the story of that game and and everything that went into it and uh or everything that happened and your feelings about it afterwards yeah. looking back on it now well looking back on it now i'm i'm mixed with like embarrassment and pride, right? It's like, oh my God, I can't believe I acted like that. Well, I do have an American League record for penalty minutes on a game that will never be broken either. <laughs> you know? Um, yep. <laughs> and then the punchline to that is uh, you ask someone, well, whose record did you break? And that's actually my own record. Yes, it is. So fun fact, I'm 1-2 all time for penalty minutes in a game, which doesn't speak to my toughness, but definitely speaks to my ability to accumulate penalty minutes. Um but that particular game, um, I'd just come off of a seven-game suspension. 
um, for leaving the bench, an altercation. Um, and I think Winger was playing in Elmira, maybe, in the yep. U-Haul. Yep. And Sean Legault was there, too. Yep. And I'd, I'd, I'd fought Legault a couple times um, the year before in preseason, and, and I think he played some games in Syracuse, and I'd fought Legault. And I, I kind of lumped Legault and Wingfield into the same kind of category of, of, of ability, of toughness, you know, which in my, in, you know, Jason Lawmaster was a guy in the coast. Those guys were, were good and tough in the, in the coast league, but they weren't, in my opinion, American league tough guys. Like, you know, they weren't, you know, I wasn't nearly worried about fighting Winger or Lego or, or Lawmaster as I was about, you know, fighting Brookbank, you know, or Jody Shelley. Like or or Jesse Bullery's been like that's another level, right? Those guys can really fucking go. So when they've been up and played games before earlier in the year with um, Syracuse, and I remember we were fighting one time, and he just reached down and he grabbed my pants and he flipped me onto my back and he jumped on my chest and he punched me in the face. And I get up and I'm like, "Fuck you, man." What is that? He's like, what? I'm like, you come up from the coast and you teapot a guy and fucking ground and pound me? What? Like, you don't come up here and fight like that. Come up here and fight me like a man. Stand up and fight me, man. Like, and I remember talking to him like that, right? Like, fuck winner. Like, you, you, what, you, what is that? You put me on my ass. What is, like, I think Basil McCray used to do that to guys or Mick Lakota or something like that. Mick Lakota was famous for the body slam. Yeah. You know, like, what a winger! What are we ground and pounding and fucking center ice in the AHL? No wonder you're in the, in the UHL. I'd say shit like that to him. So it got nasty, right? And 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 he wasn't a big talker, and he was always willing to go. And and you know, and so I'm I'm playing my role, and he's playing his role. So we're up one night, and we're at home, and I and I think I'd fought him. Oh, early in the game, I'm playing, I'm running around. And, it's again, like, it's all about the confidence. So, that particular game, they got Wingfield and Lego in the line, lineup and Alex Johnstone. And I'm like, I'm not worried about any one of those three. So, I'm going to play. I'm going to chirp. I'm going to take nice long shifts. I'm going to finish hits. I'm going to call guys pussies. And I'm going to do my job. And I was going to the bench on a change. And Winger jumps on the ice. And, it was, and it's on video. And he fucking taps my pads and asked me to go. And I really should have just turned and gone to the bench and said next next shift or something, but I didn't. I stopped and I dropped my gloves. So I just squared off and I'm trying to catch my breath. And I literally like reach with my right hand, pull my left elbow pad off, and I whip it in his head. He ducks it and I come in swinging. So I, <laughs> like, at the, at the time it's like, kind of funny and looking back it's still kind of funny right like throw my we've had a guy on a square off just to get him to like kind of throw his guard off a little bit and so we have this fight and whatever game goes on game going on and he I think John Jacopin did something and when he wanted to get to Jacopin and Jacopin was really underestimating Winger and calling him like a midget and stuff the next thing you know like I go. I was on the bench and I'm like trying to get the change, but they wouldn't let me change. And then Jacko and Winger are gonna go, and then Winger kind of. I think Jacko kind of gets on top of Winger, 
and, and kind of gets him with a kind of a late one, and then Winger flips out, turns the tables, and does this full fucking mount on Jocko, and really starts getting him. So I left the bench to try and get there before they fought. And so once they started fighting, I was already on the ice, but I've already left the bench. And then when Winger starts giving it to Jocko, me and Jason McDonald come flying in. So now I've left the bench and joined an altercation. And I've already, it's the second time I've done it in a month. So I know that I'm getting 10 games. Like, I'm, I'm like, the sooner I did that, I'm like, I'm fucked. And there's only 12 games left to go in the year or something like that. And um, maybe there's 10 games to go. Anyways, the fight, whatever. The fight is the fight. It's not that great. I mean, it's a great eight minutes or nine minutes of cinematic production because there's fights going on all over the place. Um, at one point, um, I was choking Winger, and Mac was hitting him in the ribs. Like, Winger's a tough dude. Like, that guy is street tough. He's ice tough. He's... Like, there's no doubt he's a tough motherfucker. And when it all kind of dust settled, I was I was kind of getting down by the linesman, and Winger kind of found me over in the corner of the rink, and he had, he had no linesman on him. And he's, and he's yelling at me across the linesman, calling me a chicken shit or something like that. And I'm like, I'm not a chicken shit, Winger. Like, I'll, I'm fighting five times in the last two months. Like, obviously, I'm not afraid of you. And, um, and for some reason, I thought, you know what? Fuck it. And I undid my tie down and I shed all my gear. And the funniest thing was, as I'm sitting there wrestling with two linesmen to get my gear off, Winger's standing there, just taking his stuff off like he's in the locker room. Like, like, like here I am wrestling with two grown men to get loose. And Winger's just waiting for me, taking his stuff off. And finally, like, the linesmen just stop. And now I've been fighting and wrestling for whatever 10 minutes and now I'm going to go to center and, and go with Winger and like we're trying to box and it was really awkward man like bare chest and center ice oh yeah I'm trying to throw combat we're trying to throw combinations and got to hand it to Winger he ducked one there's a video there's a picture of it where I've got one where we're squared off and another one where like I throw a left and miss and he ducks it and cranks it with a right in the jaw like the like, guy like could fight right and we ended up rolling around on the ice and I, I'm pretty sure Pretty sure he had, I want to say, like, maybe his thumb in my eye. And so I, like, put my fucking thumb in his mouth or vice versa, like, one of the two. Like, we were literally, like, eye gouging, fish hooking, hair pulling each other at the bottom of that scrum. And he had the, he had the advantage on me, for sure. And I was just on the bottom. I'm just like, I couldn't, I think, I, I think it was my eye. He had it, like, knuckle deep in my eye, maybe. And I was fucking screaming, motherfucker. And like, it hurt. And, um, but you know, it, it is what it was. And, and we're forever linked for it. You know, um, I don't know. Like I said, I'm conflicted with it. Like part of me is like, wow, cool. Other part of me is like, wasn't that great of a fight, but, ah, 64 pins in a game. No, they, <laughs> they don't ask how they ask how many. And, yeah, it was, um, I got suspended for, I think, 12 games. And there was only eight games to go in the season at the time. So the funny part of that is the next summer, the next season when I was with Providence, I played, or Boston, I played pre-season, with Boston, pre-season games. I think I played one against Wash, one against um, Jersey. 
And then I went on to, I got sent to Providence. I played two more preseason games for them, maybe three. So I played like five or six preseason games. Season opener tomorrow night. I go to the coach. I'm like, hey, by the way, I got like a four-game suspension carryover from last year. Do you know about that? He's like, no. <laughs> He's like, but you've played five preseason games. I'm like, yeah. Should I have sat those? <laughs> He's like, yeah, you should have sat those. I might get suspended or fined here, Parse. I'm like, oh, sorry, Philly. I'm pretty excited to be playing. I just thought people would forget about it. Sure enough, I was, uh, had to sit four games. But anyways, yeah, the Wingfield thing, you know, um, I heard him on your on your interview. Hey, you know, all he really said was uh, he knew me from younger and I was a big talker. And, you know, I, I don't want to shit on people, but, you know, I, I think I deserve a little more respect than that. Like, I fought that guy straight up lots of times. And no problem, you know, winger, like, he, he, you know, he, he's a tough guy and, and, and that's great and all, but like, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not here to, sh- I don't think it's right to shit on guys that, that did it. And I don't think it's right to shit on guys that did it better than you did, you know? So I'll, I'll never shit on my, like, even Peters I talked about, like, I'm surprised he did it, but fuck all the power to him, you know, right on. He played for Buffalo and New Jersey and he played a few years, made probably a couple million bucks and fucking rice. Good for him. And tough enough, obviously. And, you know, I think some respect is required or at least, you know, deserved. And so when I hear about guys, you know, shit talking, other guys like that, being, you know, I just, I, it doesn't resonate with me, that kind of stuff. Well, I hear you. All right. We're back here. Uh, well, we just, uh, we're, we got late last night, so I uh, I stopped it, and uh, we're back at it the next day. You know the things we do for the fans, Steve. I'm telling you, but uh, we wrapped up with uh, with you and you and Winger at uh, <laughs> rumbling at the massacre. Um, after that point, like you said, you got suspended, uh, obviously for the rest of the year, um, and then the following year, well, you had a you had an interesting summer. What what took place? That, that you're in the fi- I guess we're going into your final year of pro. Yeah, well, after that year, I, I kind of wrote out the rest of the season. And then, you know, at that time, still like, you know, I, was, I had some games to serve, but I was pretty, you know, I was fairly confident that I was going to stay in the league. And, you know, I was, you know, I was my first full year in the league. I guess the year before I played most of the year in it, but. You know, I was just trying to get a full foothold in the league and take another step to the NHL and hopefully get there. And um, season ended. Actually, I, hold on. I got to cut you off there. I, I guess I should have led with this. After this all went down, what was the team's, what was Pittsburgh's reaction and to you and the whole deal? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, there was a bunch of suspensions. So, like I said, you know, earlier, like I, I knew – that I was going to get a, a long suspension because once I left the bench, that was the second time I'd done it, you know, that season. And so, um, I was for sure going to get the, you know, there's only eight or nine games left in the year. So I knew for sure that it was going to be a big suspension. And then the team did too. And it came down and, you know, one of the guys got, I think there was eight games left, and one of the guys got, I think, six or seven games, and he had to come back and play the last one or two. And uh, and I had eight. I had 12 with four carried over. So um, we were so far out of the playoffs at that point. Um, we'd lost um, a lot of games. We had a lot of penalty minutes. 
you know, when you, when you lose that much and you have that many penalty minutes, there's, you know, there's, um, there's trouble that they need to fix in the room. Right. And so they decide like who's part of the problem and who's part of the solution. And, and although they, they backed us, uh, privately and publicly, really, you know, they said, you know, we're proud of our guys for sticking up for each other. Uh, the season ended and, um, and they traded me like the, I was traded in, in May. I guess they just decided that I wasn't going to, you know, have a future with the organization. And there was, there was no hard feelings. I don't recall. I'm, I'm sure they weren't super thrilled. You know, I had 360 penalty minutes and one goal. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure they would have liked a little bit more performance and me too, but you know, it was, uh, it was the environment we were in and, and those, those young guys, they got a lot of ice time and, and it was, it was our job to, to protect them and let them feel safe. I mean, it was an intimidating division. You yeah. think about taking a lunch. So we had nine or 10 rookies on the team, you know, and you're taking them into the spectrum and you're going into Hershey and you're going into bingo and you're going into Syracuse and, and, and it, and it's a, it's a dreary Wednesday or a cold Sunday and you played three and three and, banged up and again the guys are nervous and you know the league there's line brawls and there's scary guys and there's nhl guys and there's bitchy people and, and it, it could be rough and it could be hard and so i think you know in that regard we, we did a pretty good job but i think ultimately the team realized that it was probably overkill for what we had and you know the other guys like jason mcdonald and darcy you know they had lots of penalty minutes but you know jay was jason was our captain and a, and a first second line player and darcy played you know second, third line and killed penalties. And, you know, I think they had enough of that aggression in their organization. And I think they, they were going another direction and they, and they, so they traded me to Nashville. And, um, I think for, for future consideration, FC, as they used to call it, Freddie yeah. Charles. So yeah, I got traded for Freddie Charles. So Nashville is an interesting destination because I'd, I'd been to camp there a couple of years prior. I was supposed to sign there in Milwaukee with a tryout in, in Nashville the year before. So this is year three now. And now they traded for me. And, you know, basically I was told that they were trying to, I think Pittsburgh was up against it on their contracts, 50 contracts or something like that. They told me and true or not, they, I, was, I was the 50th guy on the depth chart. So anyways, they got rid of me, sent me to Nashville and um, I don't, I don't really recall like what the negotiations were like, but July 1st came and went and they didn't sign me. And, um, I would have been a, I think I was a restricted free agent until then or something. And then I was unrestricted and they didn't, I think they, they talked to my agent and my agent called me and it was just kind of like a parallel offer from what I'd had. And, and we just kind of didn't really answer or slow play it, I guess. And then, then Boston, Boston called me and offered me a contract and it was actually, you know, they were, they really liked me. They told me they'd watched me a lot in the previous year and they thought I was pretty close to the NHL ready. And if I could, you know, play well and, you know, be a leader on the, on the, on the farm, I could get a shot up. So, so I signed there. So I'm a Boston. Yeah. So like you said, you, uh, you, uh, you know, obviously over the summer, so now you're going to be a, a Bruin and yet you, you, you roll into, uh, to Boston Bruins camp. And, uh, you know, at this point, I mean, you know, there's, uh, you know, you've been around, you've been a few NHL camps, so you kind of, you kind of know what's what. Um, how many games? I know you, well, I know you fought Stephen Pete in the Washington game. How many games did you play? Do you remember? 
Yeah, I think I played a couple games. I think I played against New Jersey as well. Um, I think I played a game against Phoenix's. I think Phoenix's uh, farm team was Springfield or something like that. So I think they had some some guys there as well. Like we play, I think Boston at Washington and Manchester. And I think Washington and Manchester were like the farm team then. I think we did the same thing with. Um, I said New Jersey. I think I meant Carolina, and then um, and then Phoenix, right? So I think it was Boston versus Wash was my my preseason game with Boston and. And uh, it was pretty cool. Like, uh, you know, I mean, camp was awesome too because I met a Brant Myers was there. And um, well, I was going to say you, they had Brant Myers and Sean Brown and PJ Stock. And did you get into any camp fights? Um, yeah, I had a couple. So Sean Brown and I were, were summer workout buddies. So I trained in Edmonton. And there was a group of guys, and as Sean Brown was in the group with me, and so we'd been training for a couple summers together. And so he, I think he'd been traded from Edmonton to Boston, and he'd been there for a year already. And then I think when I signed there, um, he'd already had a place down there, so I went a little bit early, and so I wasn't going to fight Brownie, but um, I was skating a week or two before camp, and then when camp opened, you know, Myers showed up, uh, PJ Stock was there, um, Colt Nor was there. There was another young gunslinger named Darren McLaughlin, who was a pretty high pick out of the Western League. He's actually from my hometown. I, I know his family and stuff like that. He's a young, tough guy. Paul Harvey was there. He was a minor league tough guy. And so, yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting because um, they had a real fight culture. Doug the Thug Smith was was around the team a little bit. Yeah, and uh, and the the head scout was uh, Sean Cody, and. Uh, you know, I, I remember being in camp and then they literally, like, one day after one of the scrimmages or one of the practices, they called me over and asked me to go work with some of the young guys. So I literally had, like, a couple of young defensemen. I think Sean Morrison and Milan Yersina, big 20, 21-year-old defensemen that were in their prospect system. They had me over kind of, like, working with them on, on how to protect themselves. And so I'm just kind of teaching them, you know, like... <laughs> You know, if a big guy comes knocking on your door, like, how do you not get killed, right? And, and so, you know, it was weird because now, like, that would never happen. I mean, maybe it would, but it definitely wouldn't be as pronounced. Yeah. But, you know, it was something then that was, like, it was interesting. So we got into camp and um, scrimmaging, and, you know, I, I think I think PJ and I were on the same team. And I, I knew PJ from, from the Quebec League and stuff like that, and, and and I don't think he had any interest in fighting with me or anybody else in training camp, right? Like, it just wasn't what he was, you know, it just it wasn't that vibe. And we did not, it wasn't really that vibe. So I think Paul Harvey and I got into it. And um, Brant Myers and I almost got into it. Um, pretty funny story about that. But uh, I think they just told us, you know, try to save it for, for the exhibition games. You guys are all going to get exhibition games. And we'd sooner... You guys, you know, we'll give you a chance in those games, to, an opportunity to show us what you got. So, I think we all just kind of took that at face value, and and we all exactly did that. Like Myers fought uh, Reed Lowe in his game, and Rob Ray another one, and I got into it against Washington and went after you know went with Petey, and I think I went tried to go with someone else too, and and uh, everyone just kind of waited for the exhibition games, and we all got our licks in, and and I got sent down and. Mizey got to stick around, and then you got sent down. 
and they didn't really go with anybody really and then they brought Oliwai in near the end of the year but um yeah it was um I was a bit of a slow start like I, I had I had some decent start to the year but then I had to sit the four games from the year before and so what I thought was a decent uh camp and kind of momentum I kind of lost it and by the time I got back in the lineup you know, I'd, I'd sat the four, and then I'd sat a few more after that, and I was basically a healthy scratch to start the year. And then when I finally got in, I can't remember the exact order, but I think in my first five games back, it was like Brennan, Goddard, Flynn, Flynn, someone else, someone else, someone else. And my coach just looked at me one day and was like, holy shit, man, you're not afraid to go. I said, no man, like I'm 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 down for fighting, like I'm into it. And uh yeah, like he he really you know, he really showed me a lot of respect and he started playing me a bit more and gave me a little bit more responsibility. I mean I the stats don't really reflect what I think, you know, my game was like. I mean I wasn't wasn't awesome by any means, but anyhow, it was um it was interesting for sure, like to be in Boston and then be around guys like Joe Thornton at the time. Don Sweeney was still playing then. He's a general manager of the team now. So it tells you how long ago that was. I was, uh, I was young, Joe, Jolton Joe. Man, I don't know. I, I only know him from there, but what you see, what I see from there and what I see on TV and what I see, like how he acts, he, he's the same guy, man. He's just one of those guys who just is happy go lucky. And uh, he's going to do, do things on his terms pretty much. Like, I mean, obviously he's a part of the team and he's a great teammate, but, you know, the way he plays the game is at his pace and the way he does his thing is at his pace. And he uh, <laughs> he was awesome to be around, man. He's just one of those guys that, you know, you come and sit down and, hey, Parse, how you doing today, buddy? Looking good out there. And he just always had that upbeat personality. And uh, he was awesome. He was great. Yeah, it uh well you had some, down down in Providence you had some characters on the team like you said uh you know you, well you and Brant and uh you know Jay Henderson and uh Darren Van Owen and uh how you got any stories of those guys? Yeah, for sure I do. Like uh well Hendy's Hendy's like a complete legend in the minors. I think he won two or three Calder Cups. Uh I want to say Providence, Milwaukee, Houston something like that and uh he's one of the funniest guys around i I think i think he was drafted last overall in his draft yeah the next year Vinny lecavier was drafted first overall and i think his claim to fame if he was one pick ahead of vincent lecavier that's his that's his he's a he's funny that's how i i wanted to ask you because he's a funny dude on twitter and uh that's yeah that's his profile yeah, take it ahead of Vincent LeCavalier. That's his profile. You know, like he doesn't take himself too seriously. He's really funny with guy, really witty. He's got big balls, you know, and he was great to play with. Because, you know, when you're playing with Hendy, like, anything can happen, right? And you just know, like, you go up for a face-off and you're lining up for the draw and you're looking at him and it's 4-1 on the board. And he's looking at me and I'm looking at him and I'm like, yeah, and he's like, yeah, I'm like, all right. And so, you know, he'll the puck will get on the four check and he'll finish someone late. He'll get into a end of play or he'll do something. You know what I mean? And that's just like, it's, it's fun because you get to come in and you know, he's, he's pot committed, right? He's, he's willing to go and he's got good speed and he's super lippy and, and he's tough too. Like he, he's real, you know, for, he's not a big guy, but he's tough. 
And um, he's a solid player. Like I remember, I remember him in the WHL. Dude had fifty goals in like one hundred and fifty minutes in his last year, and with the ice, I mean, Jay Henderson is legit. Well, he's an NHL player. Oh yeah, like, he's an NHL player. The worst thing about Andy is that his timing of his injuries. I think because he had some significant injuries. I think at some poor times, and you know, he he's an NHL player. Like he was a leader. Three, three Calder Cups in like I don't know five years or something like that with yeah. three different teams all in leadership roles. Like that's no joke. Nope. And he's got a bunch of NHL games and he and he's, he's great. Like he's just uh, big big balls. Um, I remember uh, one night I was, I think I I was out uh, I was out with a wrist injury. I I really mangled my wrist that year pretty bad, and. Um, yeah, it just it really it really interrupted the season. It, I was kind of a slow start to the year because I had to sit some games and kind of get the coach's trust. And I got in and I got in a bit of a role and, and it was actually started playing, you know, regular shift. Yep. And a uh, regular shift, but it was starting to get some, you know, in the, in the lineup and trying to get my footing. And, and and then I fucked my hand and my wrist one night and it was never the same. And it just was the beginning of the uh, beginning of the end. Yep. Yeah, the um, I was gonna well, like you said. Well, before we get into the fights that you had, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, Brant Myers. Like I can remember Brant Myers. You know, ever I mean, everyone listening knows Brant played in the NHL and all that. But um, of course, I watched him in the Western League, and he was he's the baddest dude in the Western League. And uh, you know, and then it was it was fun to watch him. You know, progress as a pro. Um, and like you said, I know you guys are friends and stuff. What? Uh, how's you, you got any stories about Brant Myers? Well, it's like even now, like you can see why he was such a uh, dominant young guy. Like when he was in the Western League, he was the toughest guy there yep. at eighteen or seventeen or eighteen, nineteen. Like they're undisputed, you know. And and when you when you see him in the NHL when he's on top of his game, like he won some good fights there too. Yep, you know and. and and you know, obviously, his, his troubles are well documented, and, and you start self-sabotaging behaviors, and, and you know, admittedly, you know, you start undermining yourself a little bit, and the performance lags, right? And that's what happens. Um, but you know, when Mizey was on top of his game, or even half on top of his game, like he's borderline unbeatable, and he was a great big lefty. <laughs> he was over, over, under. And he threw with bad intentions. And he's a strong dude. He's got good balance. He's actually a pretty good player. Can get around the ice good. You know, he's, he's yep. a right shot. And he's a smart guy. He's got lots of confidence. He believes in himself. He can play. He can make plays. And he's fucking tough. And he and a lefty. And he liked to punch guys out. And so when he wanted to, when he wanted to give her, like it was scary. And most guys have played against him, especially coming through. You know. Um, they want to let him sleep, right? Like if he's sleeping, let him sleep. Because if you wake him up and you got to deal with him, like he's gonna he's gonna fuck you up. And you know, there's there's some guys that that might not pertain to. Like I don't think Bob Probert was too worried about Brown Myers, but you know, there's a handful of guys that weren't worried about Brown Myers. Like guys did not want to go with Myers unless they had to. Now, as as the career goes on, and, and you know, he starts missing time and. You know, and, and like anybody, you know, you become a little more vulnerable. But, you know, he, and I think, you know, his, his story is well documented, and I'll let him share that. He's got a book coming out, actually, 
Excellent. And um, yep. yeah, and he, he's amazing. You know what he's done with his life yep. in the last thirteen years is, is truly remarkable. You know, he's we, he's one of our best friends. We talk almost every day, and uh, couldn't be prouder of him. Um, his discipline and his resolve and his strength is like it's insane because what he, you know, the opportunity that he had and then the life that he lived and then he, you know, it all kind of came crashing down for him and he, and he rebuilt it on, on a really integral and honest and strong disciplined way. And so I don't know, he was, he was a tough motherfucker. And when he fought, like when he was ready to go, it was downright scary. And, uh, I mean, like everyone can see there's lots of fights, even after the Providence year, like there was years when he was in Lowell and stuff like that in Omaha, like, like he got into some hairy, hairy dusters. And I think he even punched a coach one time too. <laughs> but uh, like you said, I mean, you know, obviously is it, well, he's talked about it. Is it, we're not talking out of school. I mean, his issues are documented, but I think what him and, and Brian, well, and we're going to talk about him later cause you did fight him, but what him and McGrattner do have done is, is really great. What they've, uh, you know, battled back from and, 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 uh, it's great to see them with, uh, well, I don't know if Brant is now. Is Brant still with the Kings? No, no. I think his contract expired. And, um, I think they let management change. Dean Lombardi was a big believer in Brant. And, and, um, I think when Dean's, when Dean was whatever, like go or when that ended there in LA, Brant Steele was kind of on the end of his term too. So, well, he's, uh, yeah. Like, uh, well, if he, I, I don't know, obviously, his situation, what he wants to continue that. But I think in terms of what a team does, like what, what McGratton does with the Flames and stuff, and just and just with the guys in the league in general, I think there's a lot of guys battling stuff. And I think uh, I, I think an NHL team, that's something the NHL and the PA and stuff should really look into, are guys like Brant and, and McGratton and stuff and, and the help that they could do. Yeah, I don't disagree, um, and, and it's tricky for it's tricky for everybody because you can imagine, you know, you're sitting there as a organization, and now you're going to say, okay, we're gonna we're gonna pay a guy to be a part of our team, but he doesn't doesn't play, he doesn't coach, and he's everybody's, you know, confidant or sponsor. Right, so now you've got a whole other Pandora's box of, I would suspect, responsibility, liability. Yeah, you know, what are they telling them? What's going to get breached? What's possible? Like, what risk? You start looking at all that, and I think it really makes people, you know, nervous, especially businesses. And you know, cover your ass, cover your ass, cover your ass. And so I think it takes a bold, takes a bold leader to throw that caution to the wind. And do what's in the best interest of the of the humans, and by doing that, they protect their investment, right? Like, yes. You know, if you've got a guy that's close to the team that knows what characteristics to look for, and a guy that's spiraling, you know, you might be able to prevent prevent that guy from, you know, partying more than he needs to, or making bad choices, or not having someone to reach out to. Like, I'm, I'm not in those meetings or rooms and, and stuff like that, but I'm, I'm very familiar with that lifestyle. And I think it, I think they need to have that. Yeah. But well, like I, like uh, I said, I think it's one thing. I mean, every, they always have the doctors and the psychologists and all that. And that's great. But I think it always, um, I, to me personally, this is my opinion, but I think it, 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 I think it has a little more 
I don't want to say credibility, that's the wrong word, but it, it, I think it means more when it's the boys. And I think when it's coming from one of the boys and he, they know what you're going through and they've been there and they can relate. Like it's one thing for me. Oh, I know what you're going through. Well, I don't because I've never been in that position in a perform, in a, as a professional player, but Brian McGratton has. So he can legitimately say that and they know he's not full of shit. Right. So, and he's pulled all the games and did the lying and the sneaking around and whatever that comes with the addiction. Right. Where, you know, whereas a doctor and stuff, I mean, you know what I mean? It's one thing you got the school behind you and, and the, you know, and the science, but, uh, 100%. yeah, I think it's 100%. a little different when you know, it's the you boys, need, right? If I'm a player on a team and there's a guy hanging around who I can tell by being around him for 10 minutes that he's been through some shit. And I'm going through some stuff. And I can look at that guy. I know that this guy was an old tough guy, an old enforcer, which means for sure he's looking out for the boys, right? He's a big brother. He's inherently wired that way. So, yes. you know, I mean, these things, these boxes, hurt, they get checked right away. He's one of the guys. He's put his balls in the line for other people before. He's been through it. I can trust him. Yeah. It, you know, I just think it takes a certain type to fill that role. And if you're not careful and you get a guy that's a little too polished or a little too perfect in that role, the guys that are lacking confidence or the guys that are sneaking around, they're not going to want to open up to a guy that's got his shit together. They want, you know what I mean? Misery loves company. Yeah. So, you know, when you're really going through something, if you're going to reach out, you're a rock bottom, you know, you're going to, you're going to reach out to someone that, that understands you. You're going to reach out to someone that can connect with you. Right. And so I think Mizey and McGratton and, and those guys that are doing that in those roles, They've walked in those shoes. It's yeah. no different than, like, you know, a, a captain or, or a lot of good coaches, right? You got to, you got to, you got to, you got to prove you can do it. You got to prove that you've got it, right? Before you get, you know, before you get to do it. So, Mikey's awesome. You know, he, he he's a real inspiration to me and a lot of people. And, and I know he draws on others and and what what, they're, what he was what he's done in the league the last number of years and. You know, the relationships he forges and people forge and me too and, and anyone, like when you're in that role, that it's not just like, oh, okay, it's a season. It, it's a lifetime, it's a lifetime friendship, right? Like, you know, um, Brent and I played together in 2002 and it's now 2020 and, and we, you know, I don't know if we've ever gone more than a, you know, a few weeks or a month without talking to each other. Yeah. Right. So, you know, it's, there, you know, there's a reason for that. Yep. Right. You become friends and you depend on each other. So, yeah, yep. and that's what those guys are doing for these the young guys. Like these guys now, got they got different problems. They got fifty, sixty million bucks coming yeah. to them, right? And maybe they're into sleeping pills or they're into painkillers. Don't get me started on that. You know what? The, what the opiates have done yes. to, to the guys. You know, yeah. it's, it's fucking devastated the sport. It's it's robbed people of their soul. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say that I was able to avoid, you know, uh, the opiates. I just, they didn't, they didn't feel good. I didn't like the way I felt on them. So I, I, I used uh, alternative medicine to, to heal my pain. And, um, you know, it's a new animal now for those guys that are doing that stuff like Brian, like Gratz and Mizey and, and whoever, you know, there's other guys out there too. Yeah. I was going to say, have you had any interaction with Riley Cote? Um, just on Twitter a couple times, right? I follow him pretty closely, right? Um, I know who he was. I think he was like a year after me, um, when he yeah. got to the American League or to Philly. I think he might have been in Philly and I was in Prague, maybe. I'm not sure. I don't know if I saw him, but 
I know I, I'm, you know, I've read all of his stuff and, and I've watched what he's done and he's reinvented himself. Right. Um, and, that, and that's, that's the trick to life, man. Like, especially if you're going to be pursued pro athletics, you can't do that forever. So you have to reinvent yourself, right? You can't play pro. I mean, unless you're Yomar Yager, who's yeah, well, fucking yeah. 50 and he's still playing, but yeah, that's an exception. Very much. You know, most guys don't play past 30, you know, if you're lucky, right? So, yeah. But I was just, you have uh, to reinvent yourself. Yeah, and with Riley's, uh, you know, with the whole the opioids and all that stuff, and and his, you know, his his pursuit and that with the with the alternative medicine and that type of thing. Yeah, no, I mean it's definitely yeah what those guys are doing is a good thing, and uh, yeah, I mean um, you know obviously that's a huge issue, and uh, in well in life in general, but you know athletics obviously lends itself to it with guys playing through pain and with injuries. So. Yeah, it's a slippery slope, man. Well, and like well, you said, we've seen we've that, seen we've seen the lives taken, you know, like Boogie and guys like that, right? It's uh, yeah, it's that. Yeah. Those are the guys you know, we, those are the names we recognize, right? Yeah, well, that's exactly. My, you know, that's one yeah, thing that yeah. resonates with me. Like, sure, we know about Boogie, and we know about these guys that that are like, you know, what a what a beast of a guy he was too. But you know, there's a lot of guys that that never made the that never made the show, that never got their name in the lights that. That have suffered the same similar fate. Yep. You know, like, there's a lot of guys that, you know, like me. You know, I never made the show. I'm not a household name. Um, unfortunate, but I know guys. You know, my peer group, right? That didn't quite make the show too. There's as many guys in that group that are suffering. And you know, I, I, I worry about those guys, man. I worry about those guys that that are that don't have the resources. They don't have the NHLPA behind them. They don't have the star power. They don't have the people looking out for them. You know, I, I, I worry about those guys. I, you know, I mean, I I scrap every day to keep my shit straight, you know. Um, you know, just not only because of what I did in hockey, but just what you do in life, right? It translates sometimes, right? When you're not, you know, when you've got to work off-season jobs, and you've got to travel around and scratch and claw to, to get your next step, like, huh? It, that's not. It's not all about hockey, too, right? You're trying to live your life, and there's a lot of guys. I mean, there's more guys like that than there's guys that make it. Yeah, well, and I think the the biggest battle, like uh, like you said, is uh, when it's over, right? Now what? And I think uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of. Well, I know firsthand, you know, and uh, talking to guys and stuff, and um, they they're lost with without hockey and life after hockey's been really rough, you know, a lot. You know, they make it. A lot of guys make it through, but some guys don't, and it's a constant struggle, right? And uh, yeah, and, and they don't have the, the millions of dollars in the bank that you know. Okay, well that that buys you some time, anyway, right? But uh, yeah, the guy that uh, you know played a few years in the American League, a couple years in the coast, and all of a sudden, you know, time to get a real job now. You yeah. know, and they have no real job skills and stuff like that it's uh you can and you're 29 30 years old and and beat up that's scary shit you know and i feel for those guys and it's uh yeah and i think that's a real big issue that i think doesn't get talked about is the the preparation or lack of preparation for life after hockey yeah man you gotta be you gotta be on point like i live in calgary and i work in the oil and gas business and i have since 2003 and you know there's easily 200 retired ex-pros you know living and working in calgary yep like we have we have an oil patch hockey league which is like every team's got you know five ex-pros on it 
yep. you know, and and the, the you know the tournaments, the, the sales guys, the industry, you know, it's it's saturated, and and then you know, and it, you don't go very far in this industry without finding a guy that you know you played junior against, and he well, he runs a tire shop in Lloydminster, let's say, yeah, or you know, or or he runs a trucking company out of out of Drake Valley, or you know, or he runs a service company out of Fort McMurray. You know, and, and you and you bump into these guys, and 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 you know you see that you know guys got they got an opportunity at some point either through a family or a friend or they went out and worked the rigs or whatever, and you know, and it's they got to reinvent themselves. And then there's other guys, you know, they they got the shit together and they get on with the fire department, they get on with the police force, they get on with the city, or you know, the smart ones went to school and they come back and they get along and they. They count money, or they have, they work with a trade, or they and they run a business. But what I find is the real common denominator is they're all leaders. The amount of leadership qualities that come out of these guys that, that pursued a hockey dream and the way they carry themselves in business, and especially in the world, you know, the circles I travel in now, like I don't know, it's encouraging. We kind of look out for each other, and it's I don't know, it's fun, it's good. You know, like I've become really good friends with lots of guys that I played against and with, and. It's interesting. Like a guy like you wouldn't think about Brad Mahalko wasn't a fighter. He played in the Western League, he's a good player, played in the American League, played in Europe and, and now we're you know we're good buddies, right? Like it's just interesting how you gravitate to one another still. Well like you say, right? The the hockey world, the small world. But uh Yeah. Yeah. Well we'll uh before we uh, leave, probably I gotta talk about a couple of your tilts here before we wrap yeah, it for sure. before we wrap it up. I mean um well, I mean, what do they always say? The hand of God. What was it like fighting Eric Goddard? That's a that's a big dude, man. That's a scary. Yeah, that's a um, scary individual. He got scarier. Yeah. Like after we, you know, like um, so, I'd seen him a couple of years earlier. Um, he was in with he was with Louisville, and he'd fought Billy Tibbetts, and uh, Tibbetts went a pretty long time with him. And but God's he was like I, I was really impressed. God's was twenty, and, and he really handled himself quite well. Um, so he had a reputation, obviously, as a guy that could go. And he went in Bridgeport one night, and uh, he came out and over, and I just said, "Hey, you, you ready to go?" And he said, "Yep." <laughs> All right. And so we we had a pretty good tilt, like you know, in hindsight. You know, I think it was pretty even. Um, and and then we just got on with playing. And then, no joke, that was a, I'm going to say it was a Wednesday or a Thursday night. And then it was like Saturday night, hockey night in Canada. He gets called up to the New York Islanders and fights Ty Domi and did really well. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I fought that guy like 48 hours ago and now he's fighting Ty Domi. You know, and it just, to know that he was that capable and, you know, and I was, I was right there. Like when you, when you, when you're in that world, you're constantly measuring yourself, right? You're constantly trying to know where you're at. So at least I was, I don't know if everybody was, well, but I, I was I, for sure. I would think so. I think it's just obviously I would think human so. nature, you're right? Your last fight, right? Yeah. You well, get, and then mean, if that's Goddard, then you're not even close. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one thing, you know, if you're like a power forward, you know, whatever, that's kind of a, you know, if it happens, it happens. But I think, yeah, when you get into your position or an enforcer role, I mean, yeah, well, obviously, yeah, you have to measure how you are with other guys. Right. And it's, uh, 
Absolutely. Well, one guy, I've watched these fights, actually. Uh, well, actually, I put them up on my YouTube channel a little while ago, but I just recently revisited them. You had your fights with Flynn. Was there any, was there heat with you and Ryan Flynn? Because there sure seemed like it. You sure didn't seem like you liked each other too much. Yeah, that was a funny one. So, I, I don't know, I don't know what happened, but I can't, I don't know if you remember the order of them either, but we went in, we were in Manchester and, um, we came up for warm up and, you know, at this point in my career, like I was 27 or something like that. And, you know, at that point I was in, you know, I'd been in the league for a couple of years and by no way I was a super vet, but you know, you see a pattern year after year of these 21, 22 year olds coming in and they're tough and they're big and they're nasty and they're, and they're keen and they're willing and they're ready. And, you know, and they're not kids, right? They're, they're ready to go. And so we came out for a warm up and, I see this guy. I don't know if he had his helmet on or not. I don't. I think he might have. I'm not, maybe maybe no helmet. But like, if, if you're looking for an intimidating looking guy, like Ryan Flynn might be top five. Like he has <laughs> yeah. like huge shaved head, goatee, and he's like he was like mean mugging our whole team. He was coming around the red line and he's just like staring at everybody like he was going to kill them. And like really like deliberately, right? Really intimidating, riding the line and stuff. And so. I was like, hey, like, come intimidate me and kind of having some fun with it. And uh, so we started chirping in, in warm-up. And they had a couple guys on his team that I'd played with before. And I just said, hey, man, like, I'll, I'll fight you right here in warm-up. Like, if you don't think I won't, you know, ask the guy standing beside you because he's seen me do it. You won't do it. You won't do it. Oh, fuck, yeah, I will. Like, I don't play very much. If I got to fight you and warm up to make a point take a five game suspension like if you think I won't you're wrong so if you want to go now or you want to wait for the game to start fuck up to you but we're, we're definitely going fuck you I'm going to kill you and we'll see you there we'll see about killing me and so it was kind of like that I kind of went on the, the passive aggressive and so when the game got underway the electricity was huge and Manchester always had lots of people and um yeah, it was boisterous, and we got out there, and I think we went. I'm pretty sure, like, if I recall, like I, I think I landed a really good one to start, and then was throwing, and then I kind of lost my balance, and I was trying to get up, and then he kind of threw, and I think I, like, covered my head while he was up, and I was down, but I dropped him, but I, the fight was kind of short, and it, 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 it kind of sloppy ending, and and he get, I get up, and he's calling me a turtle, and I was saying fuck that man i dropped you like i'm not turtling i lost my balance so i'm not, I'm not afraid of you and so we had these, we had a big exchange a big you know and i didn't know it was a tv game i didn't know that they had zoom cameras and commentating so in hindsight like now the video clips now are hilarious because it's like brad park hall of famer and another guy like commenting on it so we're in the box and, and he's, he's yelling at me and i'm like you know what we're going again yeah, clearly you have not fucking learned to, to calm down or respect me or my team so tell you what bud next shift as soon as we're out we're going again we'll fight until we're settled I'll fight you five times tonight if you need to like, they, they don't think that you know that we're going to keep this hostility we need to we need to solve this fucking alright alright so we're screaming at each other and then you know the next next same period actually I think they put us out and um it's funny because when you watch the video, like the play went on 
for like 30 seconds. And me and him were skating around the ice, literally trying to stay on side while the game was playing, played four on four. And him and I were trying to eat. I don't know if he thought I wasn't going to drop him. But no one wanted to take a penalty and an instigator, and I think that was kind of the vibe. Whoever drops the first is getting a minor. Like you, you worry about those things, right? And, and then we had a pretty good doozy. I thought, like I thought, the next one was was a real doozy, back and forth. And at the end, I just remember looking at him and I was laughing. I said, "Now, and now, do you, do you get it? You get what we're doing here?" And he just laughed. He's like, "I get it, big boy." And it was one of those moments where it was like, you know, you can be as mad as you want when you're fighting, but at the end of the day, man, like. I don't know. It was just—it was just one of those moments. It's hard to explain. Like I, I think it was—I uh, took it a little bit later than he did, but it was a fucking great set of fights. Yep. Well, another guy—he's kind of an under—he's an under the radar guy, and you fought him. I think I don't know if it was twice in one game, or you fought him twice anyway. Um, Jason Payne. Well, yeah. So that was an interesting one because that was when I'd come back from busting my hand up so i had a had broken my wrist fight richard scott um a couple months before that had to have surgeries pins in pins out and then they took the cast off and and they like after like eight weeks and if you ever had a cast for eight weeks, if you have one on your like from your knuckles to your elbow, like your skin and your and your muscle and and everything is like it's atrophy, right? And the skin is kind of flaky, and your wrist is skinny, and can't really move your hand that well. And I'm not joking; they took it off, and a week later, you know, the doctor was like, "Okay, you're you're good to go." I said, "No, I can't be good to go. Like I can't even." touch my, my fingers to my thumbs and I've got, I haven't done any lifting yet but I, I need he's like it's just pain now bud like, there's no structural issue with your wrist at all and I'm like I I respectfully disagree sir <laughs> but he's telling my team I'm healthy he's telling me I'm healthy and I'm like I, I, I don't feel healthy I don't, I don't feel like I can even start my car right now I start my car with my left hand I don't think starting my I hurt starting my, my jeep with my right hand you know it hurts hurts a lot yeah it's fine it's a pain issue so kind of put me in a bad spot because you know as far as my coach and trainer know I'm, I'm good to go yeah and they're telling them that and I'm like I'm not good to go well who's wrong here I'm like well I don't know what to tell you but like fuck it hurts a lot I, I need I need more time they're like ah oh. he says you're fine Steve and so you you're at that point where you got to make a decision, right? Yeah. And so I uh, made the decision to play. And then it was uh, St. John was in town, and Painter was, I think he was on the team the whole year, I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure if he was called up or not, but I'd seen Painter before, and and uh, I asked him to go. I don't know what happened. Or he asked me to go, or I was running around. I think I was running around, chirping guys, being a cocksucker, and he asked me to go. And I was really gun shy, right? I really didn't want to throw anything. My hand was sore, so I was like pulling him in. I was like fucking with his helmet, trying to get his helmet off. To, I didn't want to hit his helmet, you know. And now I'm second guessing myself mid fight, right? I'm, I'm taking punches to, to get a helmet off, and I took some punches and I kind of got his helmet off, and I kind of got him strung out. And I was going to start throwing, and he went down, and, and I, I got real mad. Like I was like, fuck! Like I felt like he, you know, I felt like. You know, I think in hindsight I shoved him pretty hard and maybe he lost his footing but I was 
you know, I was mad because I wasn't able to get, you know, my fight on. And I, could, I reached up and I had a cut on my eyebrows. So now I'm bleeding. And I didn't land a punch. And oh, fuck was I mad, right? I was embarrassed. And so I went into the locker room and I came out next period and, and, and he went on the ace and I went over the boards and I said, let's, let's finish that. And so we went to center and, and, and Painter to his credit, he, he's a tough prick. You can't intimidate him. And uh, we went to center and I said, we got to go helmets off. I said, I want, let's go no buckets. Let's, let's fucking do this. So we dropped the buckets, which isn't really common in the American league. Um, Cause you know, no one advisors, right? So you just do it like that. But that one there, I, I really, I really, really got a hold of him and I really started landing some punches and I just remember like hitting him and my wrist I could just feel like lightning bolts shooting up like from my hand all the way to my elbow and my shoulder I could just like probably three or four in a row and I just remember like the sound and the feel and, and he had the fucking hard head man and I and you know I landed probably seven or eight in a row or five or six in a row pretty solid and when I broke my hand two months ago, I'd sat in the box for whatever it was, the whole five minute major and the, and those whistles. And I went back to the bench and I said to my trainer, I said, I think I broke my hand. And it was stiff and it, it, it did, it wasn't excruciating. It was stiff and it was sore and it was just disfigured, but it didn't crush pain. The pain was a five or six out of 10, but this one was like, a, like a 10 out of 10. Like it was just screaming pain and I couldn't even serve the penalty. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was the, went on the IR, I'll go for another month or so or that, and then, yeah, so, it was, I mean, the fighting pain there was, it was bad, I, I rushed back from injury, and I fucked my hand and my wrist on him, even worse than it was. Yeah, and then, uh, well, you come back, and I think you had one more, right, McGratton? Yeah, and then that's so, it. And then coming that's down it. the stretch, we had some guys up in Boston, and the coach was like, hey, can you play? And I'm like, I can play, but I, I, I can't fight, man. Like, you know, I, and so I, I had like a, a big butt end on my stick. I made a big fat butt end on it. And, and so I could kind of jam it in there. And I, you know, I mean, I wasn't that great on a, on a good day, but I was getting around. I could finish some checks and I had to bluff some way through and I didn't really fight. I played some games, played against Lowell and played against um, Portland and, you know, there's Gillies that run around and Engelstadt and all these guys. I can't fight. Like, my hand literally in the cast in my glove. They don't know that. They know that there's, like, an injury of some sort. And they're like, how is it? I'm like, and Lebonski was a rookie back then. He's like, hey, man, I heard you're playing with a broken arm. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with it. He's like, can you fight? I'm like, rather, I'd really rather not, you know. Like, you know, and we had Mizey and Van Owen and we had other guys that were able to do it. So then we were playing against, uh, I think, Bingo. Binghamton was in town last game of the year. And, um, yeah, I was I was playing. And uh, near the end of the game, I just took a cross-check from big Brian McGratton, and I turned around, and I was like, oh, boy. This is a big boy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, time was ticking down, and uh, we went at it. I've never seen the video on it. I remember it pretty clearly. I was at the end of a pretty long shift, but it was a pretty long fight too. And, you know, I think it was pretty even for the first half. And then the second half, I just kind of like stretched out and reached away and kind of dodged some of his punches. And 
talked a little shit back and forth and you know you know he you know to his credit you do watch him fight like every fight he fights that i've seen he fights with a grudge you know he, he really does fight with a grudge he fights with a mean streak and yeah, that was no different, right? He, he fought me with a real grudge and a mean streak, and yeah, you know. And then he was—he was little known then, right? He wasn't—he wasn't Grat. I mean, it was Brian Grat and Grat, but he didn't. I think the next year was the year he had like 600 penalty minutes or whatever it was. Um, that's what I mean. I think he really dominated. That was kind of his rookie year. I don't think he played every game. I think Bombi and Tedarenko and those guys were there, and I think they really mentored him. But yep. fuck, they did a nice job because he yep. became a complete machine beast, and he tore through both leagues for the next ten years. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you. I, for, I forgot to ask you when you mentioned him, but you had mentioned he was in Bruins camp and stuff. And I know he was in junior, and he, only, he came up right at the end of the year and played the one game there. I think it was at the end of the year; it might have been at the start of the year. Now that I think about it, but Colt Nor, were you around Colt Nor at all? Yeah. Yeah, Orzi was a rookie in uh, Boston that year at camp, and he'd already signed, and he'd broken his skateboard and missed the entire... He signed as a 19-year-old, I think, with Boston, and then a 20-year-old year, I think he broke his skateboard and missed almost the whole year or something like this. I, I don't remember the exact particulars, but he came up at the end of the year, and this is crazy because Boston literally was telling me they wanted to resign me. And we were having conversations with uh, with my agent and the team, and it was it was literally going to be a two year deal. And this is when I was healthy. And as I got injured, they still kept the talks alive, but it just it slowed down. And then Orzy came up, and we went into Hartford one night, and I was out um, with uh, with an injury, and he fought uh, Richard Scott. And if you could ever find that video, uh, I'm telling you. It was the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. Richard Scott hit Colton Orr, I don't know, 30 times. And I think Orzy probably hit Scott 20 times. But not one of them dodged a punch or blocked a punch or anything. It was a straight-up punch-in-the-face contest. And I remember, like, talking to Dickie Scott about it the next year. And he's like, holy fuck, that Orr kid is tough. He's like, I hit him with everything, Parse. He just kept punching me right back. I said, I know, I saw. Like the kid was a killer, and and he really opened a lot of eyes with that fight. And um, he he really was a tough, tough, tough dude. And him and I are chums. We ran into. He was in Newfoundland when I was there with Terry Ryan a couple of years ago, or last year, I guess. But that kid took my job. He took Mizey's job, and he took anybody else's job that he wanted in that organization because he was that fucking tough. He could switch hands punch it right in the face with no defense and man for a guy that you know barely made you know in the american league let's say i mean 21 even you know come back to 21 and you know he, he he's one of my favorite guys and fighters of all time because he just what a, what, a, what a beast like and he, he's big but he's not that big but both hands and Cement blocks on the end of them. He's got thunder in his hands for sure. Yep, it's unbelievable. Yep. No, absolutely. Who was I watching that he punched the other night? He's, he's someone that in the NHL that he was fighting, and he fucking hit him right on the jaw and dropped. Him. It was a big guy too. It's a good fight, and he just cranked and dropped. It was it Boogie maybe or uh, Fedor? Not even Boogie. Fedor? No. Anyways, it, it's escaping me now. I watched it the other day. I sent it to Mizey. I said, "Look at this!" Like. 
he was getting tagged, 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 and he just fucking dropped him. And he, he's just that strong. He's just that. He just hits that hard. Both hands too. Yep. Yep. No. Well, it. Uh, well, so I mean, like you said, you 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 know your wrist is really fucked at this point and everything, and the season's over. Did you know that was it at that point? No. No, I thought I was going to be okay. I had I had two surgeries in the season, and then I had one right after the season, and another one about two months after that. So I had two off seasons, and they had me in a in a cast fuse. They were they were now at this point they were taking graft out of my hip and they were fusing joints and stuff in my wrist. And they said your next appointment's in October, and I got a call from the New York Rangers, Glenn Sather, and he literally offered me a contract. Said uh, we've been watching you. We like you. We think that you can play in the NHL. We think you're NHL tough and you're and and ready. And uh, we want to bring you to camp and see what happens. I said, well, you know, I'm injured and I'm out till October this year. You're going to report to Hartford, and uh, we'll play it by ear. Okay. So that's what happened. I went to Hartford and I was in Hartford for oh, a month or two, and I went into um, went into Boston to see my doctor from the surgeries and he just looked at me and he said, uh, yeah, man, like you've got serious sublux metacarpals that are still not healed, that need to be refused. And you're going to have to have surgery, two surgeries, one now, one in probably late January, early February, probably eight weeks after that or after the next one. So November and then another eight weeks. And, uh, he'd probably be ready in March to play. <laughs> I was like, Oh, that's not good. I'm not a March-April player. <laughs> you know, no one's going to want me around from September to March to be a fourth-line healthy scratch for the end of the year in the playoff. And that was when I knew it was over. Um, but I had, I, I, you know, I had a real crack at it. No three oh four, and and I had a couple teams interested. Calgary was interested. Uh, New York was interested. Um. And it just didn't materialize. I just never got healthy. And uh, it's real shitty because, like, I end up having two in surgery, two off season, two more that fall and winter. And then I think I had three more after that. And then finally it was like some nerve procedures and, and, and uh, to and then the at the Mayo Clinic and a lot of, a lot of, a uh, lot of pins played screws, grafts. I, I messed up a bunch of metacarpals and, and a bunch of my wrist bones and tendon and, and they did quite a bit of work to fix it at various hospitals and uh, it's um I mean guys guys have hand issues. I'm not the only one but you know this one just uh when he asked me ever you broke your hand before I said no. No one ever broke my hand before. He's like, Well actually see all these white lines through your bones and yeah, those other fractures and I'm counting like twelve. <laughs> I'm like, what? He's like, well, this one here is shaped like a U. That's supposed to be straight. This one here has got three fractures in it. Two of them are from the last two months. This one here, you never had treated. And you've got a couple in here on your third metacarpal. He's like, I can't believe you never got treated for those. Like, you break the third metacarpal. That's a cast for a couple months, you know, six weeks, buddy. I said, yeah, I know. Never had a cast before my. He's like, well, what do you hockey players do? Eat Advils and drink beer that's pretty much and that's the truth right like yeah. 
you know, you, when you're when you're a minor league tough guy, you, you, you fight with a broken hand all the time, and then you don't really realize you're doing it until later, and you're like, <laughs> that sucked. Anyway, that's how it goes. Well, there we go. There's, uh, you know, that, I mean, unfortunately, kind of a. Uh you know, uh, you know, kind of the shit way to kind of end it, and the, obviously very frustrating. But uh, you know, at that point, um, in terms of hockey, I mean, I I know uh, we we're, we're talking about before we got going uh, a few a few years later. I mean, <clears throat> you hook up with the boys of Horse Lake with the uh, infamous Horse Lake Thunder, and uh, that's quite the crew. How did you get hooked up with that team, and? Uh, and uh, let's talk about some of those characters. Yeah, so I've been a you know a couple of years later. I was living in Calgary, and my wrist was I wasn't even quite healed yet, and I probably should not have been playing. And then maybe if I didn't play, I probably might have pursued something in terms of a claim, medical claim, for not playing. But I um. I, I wanted to play. I, I liked playing hockey, and, I, and I, I, I was only 29 then, so I still had some some more to give. And, and I thought, you know, senior hockey, if I'm working, I was working as a sales guy in the oil patch in, in Calgary, and if I was doing that and playing some senior hockey, it's a good way to stay competitive and okay, make a little gas money. And, and um, I ended up hooking up with the Horse Lake coach and chief talking to them and they said they had a pretty good team and they're making a run for it and I said yeah I said okay and I and I become pretty good friends with Theo Fleury in Calgary and the off you know off the ice and stuff like that and I said I heard you guys are trying to get Theo they said yeah but he won't he won't come we got his cousin Todd Holt here but Holt he says he'll come but he, Theo hasn't returned any calls I said I bet you I can get him <laughs> and uh they said that'd be great so we we ended up getting Theo and me and and Brent dodging horse and and uh and we got on a plane with another guy named Paul Fisher and we uh we flew up to uh up to Grand Prairie and Gino Ojik was there and Sasha Lakovic was there and Jason Beauchamp who was a junior hockey tough guy out west and and the Cunningham brothers and Mishko Anderson and, and, and all of a sudden I'm looking around this team and it's like it's a pretty legit team. Like Yeah. And I'm not the I'm not the toughest guy on the team. Gino's got that belt and Sasha's you know, arguably, you know, ahead of me. He's got NHL games and Greg's there and I'm like, this is amazing. And so um, we we played, I think we played sixty games that year as a team. And I literally we only lost three games, and we'd play it any way you wanted it. Guys would try to fight fire with fire, and we'd go. Guys wanted to try and do skill. We had like Seal Flurry playing center, like you know, and Travis Anderson and Todd Holt and Steve Reed and Kip Noble. Like we had. We had a, we had an American League hockey team, <laughs> definitely a very good East Coast League team and a lower end American hockey league team playing senior hockey that year, and that was a lockout year, and so there was not no other hockey, and we ended up playing against uh, the Bentley Generals, 
and Bentley Gent Arena holds like it's a community arena. It's like maybe a hundred seats, bench seating along one side of the rink, kind of thing. And so they um, they rented out the Red Deer Centrium, and they sold tickets, and they they put over five thousand fans in the stands for two nights in a row for senior hockey at the Red Deer Arena, and they sold beer, and they had the suites sold out, and the place was nuts. Brian Smith's brother was playing, brothers were playing for Bentley. I'll never forget, it was so funny, we were in uh, Horse Lake, and Smitty had must have come up with Bentley on the bus. And I'm, like I told you before, I'm a hockey fan, right? And so I'm coming off the ice, and I'm walking behind Theo. It was after, I think it was after one of the periods, maybe. And, and Smith is sitting in, like, in this kind of, like, overhang area watching the game kind of away from the, the fans and stuff and he's in his street clothes and him and Theo kind of make eye contact and and, 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 the, and Smitty's like standing up looking over and he's looking at Theo and they kind of wave so I kind of wave right thinking back on hey it's Ryan Smith fuck you know Captain Canada and he's like he puts his middle finger up he's like fuck you Parsons <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you love me too, do you? Are you mad because I'm chasing your brothers around out there? <laughs> Fuck you. And, uh, yeah, like, and so I got to know Ryan a couple of years later uh, off the ice. We spent some time together, and I, I reminded him of that story, and he he, he was laughing pretty hard because he remembered it too. He was like, yeah, I fucking hated you. You're a cocksucker. So good. Perfect. That's what I was going for. So, well, and like, for people listening out there, um, like, back like senior hockey is no joke like you said there was uh there's like those and especially you know it's a small town and every province has their own senior leagues and well numerous senior leagues and yeah you can get some like you said the ex-junior guys and i mean there's still the local guys that just want you know that are you want to play some decent hockey and you know and it's contact there's you know there's the fights and stuff and you know but uh yeah every once in a while you can get the like you said, ex, uh, you know, real pros and NHL guys, and it was uh, it was no joke. And like you said, when you take it with Bentley and Horse Lake that year, and um, you know, and they and they everyone, uh, a lot of these teams that gear up to play for the Allen Cup, which is a huge deal. That's like the Stanley Cup for senior hockey, right? And uh, I know obviously you guys were geared up for it to go to the Allen Cup, and you know, there's uh, and uh, it's it's some serious shit. And I can remember, yeah, hearing all about you guys in Horace Lake, and because you guys were hated, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I, yeah, I remember a friend of mine was in, I don't know if he's in Lloyd. He's watched you play. Yeah, it was funny because, cause, like, he's a hockey guy, whatever. But he, you know, he didn't outside the NHL guys. You know, he doesn't really follow it that much. But I'm mean, like, he goes, I heard there's this tough guy. He goes, he's played on Horace Lake. He goes, do you know this? Parsons guy and I was like, yeah, Steve Parsons. He goes, yeah, I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, Yo, you had fans everywhere, man. But uh, yeah, did, well, didn't uh, yeah. well, I know you guys had some hairy stuff, but uh, well, you were saying the story with Sasha in street clothes. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't there yet, but before I got there, when I got there, he wasn't playing because he was suspended. And I'm like, well, what what'd you do? <laughs> What did, you, what did you do to get suspended out of the North Peace Hockey League? Like, it's, like it doesn't get more pushed than that, buddy. And he's like, wow. Guy hit Greg from behind on the ice, and then he jumped in the bench, and the ref didn't have the penalty, but I knew who it was. And so I was chirping over the boards, and then I kind of jumped down over the boards and into the bench and kind of got into it, and I jumped back up in the stand. 
<laughs> you, <laughs> he, he jumped into the bench and fought the guy and then went back into the tent. He's like, yeah. <laughs> did you get away with it? He's like, I did until they like knew who I was and then they, you know, filed the reports and then I got suspended. So, I mean, this shit like that, that, you know, like, but when he like, Sasha could shoot the puck. I'm not joking with you. He shot the puck so hard and it's senior hockey. This wouldn't happen in a pro, but on a senior AAA goalie, he took a wrist shot. I'm not joking. The goalie caught it. And for whatever reason, he didn't have a good head. The kid's fucking glove came right off his hand. He kind of fell on the net. And then the referee blows the play, and Sasha comes in and fucking two hands this guy's bare hand. He's like, I'm going for the puck. I'm going for the puck. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Is that over? Okay. He's going for the puck. Man. He wasn't going for the puck. He says he was. He's lying. And, uh, but he, but he could skate, man. I mean, Sasha was a guy. I think he got. He's one of those guys that got better and better as he got older. But I mean, there wasn't a more fit guy around. Like talking oh, yeah. about fitness yeah. and and intensity. Like, what a great teammate too. Like, he was. I mean, it's pretty fun to be in a scrum and I'm standing there and I got Gino Ojek on one side of me and Sasha Lakovic on the other, and it's like, okay, like who wants and feels chirping and. You know, like who wants Brent Dodger horse? <laughs> like Dodger's top. Yep. You know, we had a bunch of guys, man, and it, it, it was. We we're I don't know. We we're probably if you weren't on our team, you probably thought we were bullies. But you know, we probably were. But you know, at the same time, you know, I've been on the other end of those kinds of teams too, and it's yeah, you know, it's the way it goes sometimes, especially in a senior league. No, absolutely, and. um yeah, well, and I know, uh, yeah, you, well, as you were just talking about Sasha, I know you guys were, ended up, um, you, you know, you guys are really close friends and stuff. Um, and I had asked you about this before, like, before we got going. I know you just kind of talked about him there, but do you have any, you know, there's such a, you know, of course, everybody knows Sasha Lakovic and the Pitbull and Sasha the Masha and all that, and they hear all the stories and stuff, but, uh, I mean, obviously you knew him away from the rink and stuff. Um you know what? What was the late Sasha Lakovic like away from the rink? You know he had a he had a huge heart. He had a huge heart, and uh, he he like he was really good to my mom. He was really good to my dad. You know he he really he um, he had a lot of affection. He you know I you know he had Sasha was a was a tough guy, and he came from a tough area, and, and there's no mistake in that. But you know. He had a great sense of humor, and you know I spent a lot of time with with Greg and Sasha in those years, and and even after. And I saw I saw Sasha, you know, shortly before he passed away, and and he was he was he was mellow. He was he was calm. He was um, he was he was still. You know, he had a lot. Of, he had a lot of like spirituality at the time, you know, and I think he knew. Like I think I think pretty sure it was like a brain cancer, if I yep. recall. Yep. And, um, you know, it was, it was really hard to see such a potent individual be, you know, reduced to, you know, his soul. You know, I'm glad it wasn't empty. I'm glad he didn't go down angry. Um, he really, you know, I wasn't around him as much as his family was, obviously, but. You know, just to see him, you know, and, and you know, just and, I, and I've seen some, you know, a feature on him, and he just, 
he didn't lose his fight. You know, I think he thought he, he fought a different way. He fought, he's fought spiritually. Right. And then I love that about Sasha and I love that about his family. You know, his, his brother, Greg, um, and his other brother, Zoki and, uh, and their families, they're very, very close. And I've been in their homes and it's sad that he's gone. It really is because, you know, he's, he's just one of those larger than life personalities. And, uh, we got along really good. Yep. Yeah. One, like in- Gino too, man. I said the same thing about Gino. You know, we've almost lost him a couple times. Yeah. And um he's he's like a sweetheart of a guy, man. Like he I don't I don't know if I played with a nicer guy. And <laughs> Yeah, we, we uh he used to he used to I remember one night we were playing and there was this guy in Spirit River was wanting to fight Gino and he he was he asked Gino for a shift and Gino says, No go away. And so the guy keeps asking Gino, and I'm getting mad. I'm like, Gino, like, why aren't you fighting him? And he's like, I don't fight that guy. So I'm going to go fight him. He's like, no, you're not. And so he used to, like, calm me down. And then later in the game, he got a hold of the guy, and, and, he, and he, the guy was, like, ready to go. And Gino beat the wheels off this guy, like, really put a number on this guy. And, like, even before the lines came in, it was behind the play. It was a total pro move. It was a Gino move. It was like, okay. Now I'm ready to go, and the play's 100 feet away. Now we're going. And he put a number on this guy, and I just remember looking at Gino and saying, like, you are a stone-cold killer. Like, you slow-played that guy for an hour and a half. And when you were ready, when you were ready, you fucking dusted him. He's like, I fight on my terms. (laughs) That's a good rule of thumb, Gino. (laughs) And we we still keep in touch. I do a lot of indigenous uh, relations work, uh, in the businesses I've been in over the years. And so we've crossed paths a few times and we keep in touch. And I've spent some time in Vancouver and when I'm out there, I try to try to hook up with them. And I don't see him as much the last few years because he's been going through his health and he's not always available. But um, there was a stretch there. We talked quite a bit and I'm glad to see he's recovering because he, he really is a, is an awesome dude. Absolutely. Well, uh, before I let you go, this has been great. Like I said, we've uh, been going on for hours here and uh, really covered your whole career and, uh, and and talked about a lot of guys. Um, we You briefly mentioned it, and uh, as you were a judge, and, and I've had this, I've had guys that, I've had Dean Mayrad, who won the contest on yeah. my show, and... Uh, yeah. We, we and I had Curtis Swanson and guys like that, and we we've talked about this event, and it's sort of this um, younger kid, new age fans can't believe this happened. This event even happened, and I can remember I can remember what it happened. We thought this was the greatest thing we because this is what we always talked about, like just joking around. Oh, we had like a March Madness tournament with tough guys, you know, and oh that'd be hilarious. Well, all of a sudden it comes true. And I can remember we watched the pay-per-view and everything. So, of course, it's the Hockey Enforcers Black and Blue Tournament that stopped and started and stopped and started. And it finally happened in Prince George. And, uh, as you said, you were a judge for it. Um, <laughs> what do you remember about that event and how crazy was that shit? I remember um, the guys that put it together, Daryl Wolski and another guy, I forget his name right now, they're out of Brandon or something like that, or Manitoba, Winnipeg, maybe Brandon area. I don't, I know Daryl's from Brandon. And I think like day of, they were still trying to get it approved. And everyone was there. I was, they asked me to, if I would fight in it. I was, I had a cast on my hand. I was out. Not sure I would have anyways, um, but I might have. But anyway, um, 
and they asked me and Paul Brown and John Craighead. I don't know how us three were the guys they asked. I think one of the one of those guys running it knew a player agent. The player agent, um, Jerry Johansson, he knew. I think he, he had Grant Myers as one of his clients, or Rich Winter was his client, Sports Corp or whatever. And they asked Mike, you know, who might want to judge? And Mike put my name up, and I said, I'll go. Yeah, fucking right. So um, there was. I mean, there's a lot of beef then too, right? Guys had time to train for it. It was in, I think it was summertime. Yep. And um, guys were ready. And there was all sorts of guys. That guys that you'd never heard of. And guys that, like Link Gates. And Was that, <laughs> was that the first time, have you been around Link before that? No. <laughs> no. First time I'd ever seen Link in action. And, uh. Did you have any interaction with know, him at all? Yeah, a little bit, right? He was he was fine, you know. You know, he's no no wasn't any weirder than anybody else, right? Like you, you're talking about twenty heavyweight fighters, they're all a little fucked in the head in their own way, right? Like yep. you're, you're flying into Prince George to get in potentially five fights in one night. And that's what Dean Mayran did. Yep, and you know, jump to the jump to the conclusion here or the, the, whatever the peak of it, but Dean Mayran won that. He beat Mike Scroy in a decision or something like that. But really, you know, for me in hindsight, they, they both could have won that fight, in, in, you know, in any way. But he may run to me. He fought five fights that night. In every single fight, he just stood there in the middle and just did punch in the face contest with whoever came in there. He didn't block anything. He didn't try any tactics. He was just like, oh, let's fucking go everybody and no one else fought five times and no one else fought like that and so you know when you're sitting there and you're seeing it you know here he comes again as he got the as he got the gas in the tank and he does it again and he does it again and he does it again and he and you're like holy fuck this guy deserves to win you know i'm nothing against scroy who put on a great fight and was probably disappointed and he probably probably could have got some votes to win it too but I don't know. Um, I'd have to watch it again, maybe to second guess it, but I, I think the right decision was made. I think if, if Dean, if Mayron didn't win that, I think he would have had a case. But like, what the fuck? What more do I got to do? You know? So it was, but I mean, what happened was, it was really crazy because they had this schedule of fights and they had this round robin kind of knock, no, not round robin. They had like some sort of grid matchup. If you won your fight, you had to fight this guy. But what occurred was, is like guys would get hurt. You'd win your fight, but you'd get hurt. Or one guy's skate broke. Mark Rader. You know, yeah, sudden, Mark Rader's skate yeah. broke. We were pissed because he's the next Blade. So we remembered him yeah. from Saskatoon here, and I was a real big fan of Raider. And then when he got traded, you never, you know, and he didn't really play pro. So we we I we hadn't heard the name Mark Rader in, in years. All of a sudden, we turn on the pay-per-view, and it's Mark Rader. We're like, holy shit, we were pumped. I was like, oh, well, I, we really wanted to see him do good. And then he breaks his, like, it breaks his skate blade. It's like, holy shit, are you serious? Yeah, the holder. The plastic yeah. holder broke right over, right? You can't wear someone else's skates in a fight. Like, yeah. I, mean, I think he I think he might have tried even. Like, yeah. 
<laughs> but it, you know, like shit like that, you don't see coming, right? Like, yeah, just um, talk about shit timing. Like, oh man, what a bad luck. Yeah, because well, I've actually talked to him. I was, I was trying to, I was trying to get him on the show here, and uh, oh really? And I asked him about that. I'm like, fuck, you broke your like. No one would give you skates, like. And he goes, oh man, my feet are so big. Like he goes, no one had skates that size, and it was just yeah. like it was just shitty. You know, it was like, oh yeah. That's exactly, you know, and, and, you know, stuff like that. And I think Link, what did Link do? Link got beat. First round, um, he only fought once. He, he lost to Steve Reed in the first fight of the tournament. And it was like, yeah. and, then, and then they were saying he had a concussion or something. Yeah, and then he didn't yeah, fight he got, anymore. Yeah, he went down pretty hard. Um, but what happened was they went off script, right? Once they started having these guys, like, get broken skate or get hurt and win, they started just putting cash fights up. Yep. And so guys were just starting, they started doing matchmaking in the back. They're coming out and fighting. Well, yeah, and yeah. I, I know talking to Mayrad and the thing there, yeah, Derek Parker is really campaigning. He was ready to fight anybody. And uh, him and uh, Linehouse there, they fought in the money yep. in, uh, you know, kind of a bounty fight. And, yeah, I guess Parker was a real vocal dude in the back. So was Segura, actually. But, yeah, and, and I wasn't back there all the time. I was sitting by the by beside the rink, so I didn't see all of that. I saw some of it, right, between the breaks or whatever. But you know, I mean, it's it was. A, it, it, I mean, it's it's really hard for anyone not there to really understand what the vibe was when you're looking at 25, you know, fighters that any one of them could be fighting each other in the next 10 minutes. First of all, you know, and. And you're going to fight five times in a night. So you think about like a UFC fight card. You know who you're going to fight for weeks or months ahead of time. And you prepare for that fight behind, you know, in the back. Well, imagine being in a locker room with like nine other guys. And there's another locker room with nine other guys. And you might fight two guys in this locker room and two guys over there. But you don't know who they are yet. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's really fun. That's really like, hey, man, like that's a, that's, that's not normal for your brain. That's not something that everybody, everybody can do. No, you know, that was um, it yeah, was, it was wild, man. Absolutely. Well, and anybody wondering, like, they're like, "What are these two guys talking about?" Go on to YouTube. It's on my YouTube channel, Fourth Line Voice on YouTube. Just type in "hockey enforcers." It's in two parts, and you'll find out what we're talking about. Definitely check it out. It's worth seeing because you'll you won't looking at it now. You can't believe that it happened. So it's like, yeah, what a crazy. So event. It'll never happen again. No, no, barely. Not. They, they were mad back in '04. <laughs> I can imagine in 2020. Yeah, but uh, yeah, what a night, and uh, it was crazy. And yeah, it was funny. I was when I was talking to Dean about it. When him and Segroy were fighting, he goes, he goes. That's the one thing he goes with Segroy. He goes, Segroy was prepared, and he had he had studied because he goes when we were squaring off. Mayra goes, I, I wanted to jab him quick, and he goes, you can watch it on right on video. He throws the first jab, and Segroy slaps it away, and you can see Mike say to him, "I knew that was coming," you know. So he's like, "Oh shit, this guy's got me scouted here." But yeah, they, those two turned into a hell of a fight in the final, and that's two tough dudes, boy, and. uh Ah, uh, uh, looking at it, I think you guys made the right call. I would have given it to Mayrad too, and uh, yeah. And anybody listening, if you want to know, uh, like I said, go listen to my interview with Dean. We talk all about the tournament and stuff, and you get a real inside story about what went on in the back and stuff. And he was actually what was really cool. This is how nice Dean is. The jersey he wore when he won it, he actually sent that to me, and it's hanging right behind me no right now. Shit. Yeah, torn to shit. Yeah, and uh, the yeah, enforcer's black and blue. So it was uh, what a night, man. 
But uh, no, that was funny. I didn't know you were a judge. That I didn't know you were there. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Steve, that was a hell of a ride, man. That's uh, where do we go for like? Uh, what have we done? Three and a half? I think this is definitely going to be a two-parter for sure. And uh, I know we had talked about it, like I said, for for a while now about you coming on. And uh, no, this is really great. And I, I I can't thank you enough for uh, for taking all this time to sit down and, t- and talk to everybody about your uh, about your journey. And what a journey! What's that? That was a hell of a run. Oh man, I, you know what? I got to thank you because um, you know no one no one asks uh, no one asks no one. It doesn't seem like anyone cares, right? Like and and. Um, you know, I, I think what you do with with, the, with your guests you have on is you really shine a light on on these guys. Like, you know, I really like the Tristan Grant interview, for example, recently. You know, there's a young guy that, that you know, you just you, you, you paid him his dues and you gave him his respect and and Huxley and Mazer and, and everyone that you have on. Yeah, I, I just think that I think it's really important um, that those guys get recognized and they get they get to document their story. You know, um, no one, you know, no one's writing any books about me or Tristan Grant or Adam Huxley anytime soon. But you know, we we what we did was is you know, is um, you know, to me it's it was long and it was hard and it and and it was worth it. And, it, and to be able to document it and have someone like you, Darren, um, you know, record it, you know, it, it's uh, it's a real honor, and, and I'm really proud and really grateful. Um, I, I just, I, I, I get a little bit more nostalgic because I go and I look back at my career. I, you know, I kind of look at some things and I'm like, oh man, I wish that would have turned out a little better or wouldn't have bounced around so much. But it was all part of the journey, and the, and for you to take time to task and to give a shit about guys like us is, is really awesome of you. So thank you. No, it's like I said, the 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 pleasure is all on this side of the microphone, and it uh, no, it's great that you guys uh, you're willing to come on and tell the story. And like I said, I know a lot of people listen; they're going to really enjoy this and appreciate it, and they appreciate what you guys do. And uh, no, man, I will. Uh, I, I like I said, can't thank you enough. And uh, and like I tell everybody, and it's and it's true, all you guys. Uh, hopefully, this isn't the last time. I'd, I'd definitely like to have you come back on and, uh, you know, we can talk about some other things and, uh, you know, or I always say, I always, I, here in the new year, I kind of want to get, uh, I think a kind of a group, a group chat would be kind of interesting. Get, get you and a, maybe, uh, maybe I'll have to reach out to Jay Henderson on Twitter and get him on here and, uh, get you two to tell some Providence stories. I think that'd be, I'd be, think that'd be kind of interesting. Yeah, you know, there's guys like Skirlak out there too, yes. right? That are that are yeah. interesting guys. If you need help getting a hold of any of these guys, um, I'll, I'll do what I can to help you out. I think uh, when called, I think uh, they, they got they, they got some good stories, right? Absolutely, there's some funny shit that happens. And if you don't take yourself too seriously, it gets really funny. Oh, absolutely! Like, oh, I definitely we're gonna tap into the Steve Parsons Rolodex for sure. Thank you so much. Absolutely, thanks, Steve. I appreciate it. Good night, man. And you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was 